1: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward prohibited by law, 18
0: plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Phil. There is no debate anymore. Ronnie O'Sullivan is the greatest. He's won his seventh world title, beating Judge Trump 18-13 in the final. There's never been a talent quite like Ronnie in this sport. And this was a pretty magical coronation for him at the
0: Crucible. Yeah, yeah, what a way to do it. He sort of strolled to that World Championship title, didn't he? Wasn't really challenged. He won, he won all those games pretty comfortably. It was uh, quite incredible to watch. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure you'll find some people that are still saying it's Stephen Hendry, or even you know, you still get some people saying it's John Higgins. But uh, that uh, that debate, that argument is making, is getting harder and harder to to make. I think uh, you know, 99 percent of people would agree that Ronnie is the best ever now.
1: Yeah, I don't mind contrary, but I think you've got to pick when to be contrary. Yeah. And, I, and I wouldn't say it's inappropriate to still say Hendry, but. I, I, I think you, you probably are just being contrary now if you're saying that. I mean, listen, let's never forget, and hopefully no one listening to this will, certainly those that saw it, the domination Hendry had. Incredible champion. Absolutely incredible champion in the history of this sport. One of the true greats, probably second greatest, if we're honest. And that must not be forgotten. But there was this one thing, wasn't there? Ronnie was ahead in UK championships, Masters champion uh, many uh, more times of course and ranking event victories and centuries you name it but it's just that nagging I think I called it a nagging noise for a an article I wrote for Sporting Live uh, that he had fewer world titles than Hendry he's now moved move level at you know at seven each and it, it feels like I mean it was it was a magical you know tournament really in conclusion in so many ways and you know 30 years as a professional what a way to christen it you know i have to say phil hands up you know honesty is not just the best policy it's really the only policy i <laughs> did think he was stuck on five the evidence was saying that and you know what one of the overlooked things for me and you're going to get certain things overlooked when there's so much that's just happened and so much has been achieved it's true in the last three years mm. I mean, that's bloody amazing actually When you think of the competition now for Ronnie, at his age, to win two out of three. And at 46, of course, is the oldest tournament winner ever. And it's just, you know, it's just magic, really. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to forget things. There's so much that happened, but it comes into my head now. Ronnie on the front page of some British newspapers. And I said on social media, I'm not saying it's rare, but the words Halley's Comet came to mind. I mean, (laughs) it is very rare to see Snoop on the front pages. That's what one he can do. He transcends his sport and uh, he transcends sport itself. And he's a, a, a big public figure. And that was wonderful to see. And uh, so much interest. Nearly 5 million people watching on the BBC. These are wonderful numbers. And it wasn't a final that ended very, very late, was it? It was shortly after 9 p.m. So It wasn't one of those 10, 11 worth. Even more would have watched. So 5 million for a 9 p.m. finish or just after is, 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 is marvellous. He had his moments, didn't he? Trump came back, but for the vast majority of the final, as you've already suggested, he did look like the winner.
0: Yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was a classic final, was it? I mean, that, that third session where Trump was really excellent, he won it 6-2, and, you know, there were some murmurings in the press room. People started to think he might do it, um, but he really needed to get off to another good start in the evening, and uh, I still won, uh, won the first two frames in the evening quite quickly, and then it, then it seemed over again. Um, but judge D- Carried on playing well. I uh, thought he was great all Monday, really. Uh, but yeah, he'd left himself far too much to do. He, he wasn't anywhere near his best on on Sunday. And uh, that was a bit of a shame because, uh, you know, there were some great moments in that final, some brilliant play, as I said, on uh, throughout the Monday it was excellent. But uh, yeah, it, it never really felt like anything but an O'Sullivan win. And uh, yeah, I mean, his, his run, we've, I mean, we've spoken about it. the last two pods, we've got him up to the semi finals, but Gilbert, Allen, Maguire, Higgins, Trump, sounds pretty nightmarish doesn't it and uh, he's knocked them all off without breaking a sweat really so it's very impressive indeed it, it really was a, a very good run and
1: it, yeah it was a mixed bag the final at times it really sort of came to life and threatened to come to life even more but didn't quite go into that sort of classic territory i mean i was in there live for the whole of the first session and it, it was really terrific good, good good friend of, of mine and, and, and colleague Peter Carline messaged me from the, the balcony on the other side and said, this is fabulous, and he really nailed it. It was just so special to be in there. And that that first session was top, top snooking, you know. Mm. I mean, you know, I think Trump would have felt like the fourth frame got away from him. When he went 3-1, he went 5-1. Trump fought back to 5-3. And, of course, there was a, a, you know, very ugly incident, actually. I mean, there was one, you know... <laughs> slightly disappointed moment over a ball being uh, replaced, you know, very early in the match. But then, you know, towards the end of the session, you know, referee Olivia Martil gave O'Sullivan a, a formal warning, didn't he, for what he believed was an obscene gesture. And O'Sullivan then, you know, you know, did not take well to that and uh, was pointing at the referee, don't start, go and look at the camera." and it wasn't good for for Ronnie. That I mean, I, I think I wrote it, it was at best unbecoming and at worst intimidating. I mean, it, it was it was bad behaviour, um, which I was pretty candid about on social media. I, I always think you on dodgy ground, maybe with a Sullivan and Trump, but certainly with Ronnie. If you say anything, you know, in any kind of controversial way, you tend to get a bit of feedback. But as I've always said, it's very possible to have, you know, two thoughts or even more thoughts at the same time. Ronnie's a wonderful thing for the game. He's a genius. He's a joy to watch, but at times he was, you know, too much in this tournament and of course has been throughout his career. And on this occasion, that was pretty bad look for him. I know he said the referee was looking for trouble in that television interview after the first session, but I thought, you know, we all know the referees in charge of sport. That's the way sport works. And for me, Ronnie's well, behaviour was, was not good.
0: Yeah, it was quite, it was very confrontational and, uh, I think aggressive is the word, you know, pointing and, uh, yeah, he, he didn't react well. And, you know, if, if, if that was, if Ronnie's genuine opinion was he didn't do anything, then you would be surprised. But I don't I don't buy that, really. I mean, you know, the referee's not just making up that he's done something, is he? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was all quite strange. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how much to think of this the whole through, through the tournament, but this documentary was being filmed. We all know that. Um, it, it's been made very well aware and just, any little moment like that is the first thing I think of was how much is it being done or contrived a bit to make a bit of extra telly. Um, and I don't know. We'll never know if that was on purpose or not, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me entirely if that was the case if that was in his mind and he was sort of just throwing in a bit of a uh, controversy just for some more drama in there. But we don't know. It was, it was funny. Um, but it wasn't a funny as in odd, not funny as in entertaining. Uh, and you're right. It wasn't a good look. And yeah, uh, I think you've just gotta you've gotta respect the referee in that situation and there's better ways to um, respond even if you disagreed with him. But I don't know, a lot of people were saying that maybe the ref should have waited to the end of the frame, but I don't know, I don't know if that's right. I think I get why that's annoying for Judd doing it then, but surely you've got to respond to things when they happen, or you don't know if you've got a warning. Say what if what if something else happened in the, that frame that required another warning and that's two warnings to come and you don't you don't know you've got the first one, if you see what I mean? It's like waiting for at the end, waiting in a football match to book someone later, and you could do another foul, and then you've got two yellows. We didn't know he had the first one, so it's tricky. Yeah, I suppose he could have waited to the end of the session. I mean,
1: yeah, it's an interesting one. That I mean, I think some people are, <laughs> I haven't thought a great deal, much in the last sort of twenty four hours about the actual timing of forty eight hours. But actually, I think some people were a little, maybe a little bit too dramatic on reflection about Trump having to wait. He didn't have to wait that long, did he? And you know, he potted the yellow, and credit to him. I mean, he had to wait a little while. Maybe it wasn't ideal. But, yeah, I think, you know, you can't really win in that situation. I suppose if he, he had a way, people might have said, why didn't you respond at the time? Yeah. Why didn't you say it when it actually happened? So, yeah, it, it, I, I don't understand the timing point. But, listen, you know, Ronnie was seen, you know, that he made an alleged gesture, didn't he, early earlier in the tournament.
0: Mm.
1: Um, you know, you know. I think we can see that pretty plain and simple. You know, it, if you, well, let me let me put it like this. It, you know, I know who I believe out of Ronnie and the referee, and I don't, I don't mean that disrespectfully to Ronnie. You know, Ronnie's got his great qualities in life, and uh, as I said, he always wins you over. That rascal, I always, find <laughs> that. but uh, yes, if you're asking me who I believe in that situation, you know, it's it's, it's not Ronnie.
0: Yeah, and as I say, like, why would the referee invent it? And, uh, you know, you, you often get these sort of almost conspiracy theories, people saying, oh, the referee loves to be the centre of attention. They just don't. Like, that's, just not, that's not the case. And there's no way that he's just sort of making something up to, uh, to, for what? For a bit of attention. I don't know doesn't make any sense to me at all. So, look, he's just throwing a teacup. He got his warning and that's fine. That's done. Um, there's no need for any more punishment or anything on, on top of it, I don't think. Um, but yeah, that's from a, from us. A, it was just strange that we couldn't see, wasn't it? Because the one that he, he was being reported to the disciplinary board or whatever earlier in the tournament, we did see the footage. It was on camera. Yeah. So we could make our opinions quite clear about that. And it was just very odd that we couldn't see it. So, you know, that's where the debate comes in. But um, yeah, like you say, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the ref's decision on that all day long. And two or three people that I that I, that I trust implicitly also had a,
1: a fairly good view of Ronnie and, and, and told me that there did appear to be a gesture mate. So I, I take that in good faith. Um, second session was a bit flat. I actually find the Sunday night session of the final often is. I think maybe because fatigue sets in, I always find that can be a little bit disappointing. I mean, it wasn't one that really dragged on and on. It was very much Ronnie being dominant. But, you know, I think... <laughs> us in our game we're always a bit greedy aren't we we want great play we want it to be close we want you know we're never quite satisfied but 12-5 didn't really satisfy the parts did it you you, you want it cl- I, was on, I was on Radio Sheffield on Monday morning and you know I did my absolute level best is that rather <laughs> judge how I did but you know I was talking about this big day for the sport this is our selling point I did say you know of course never make cast iron predictions I've been watching this tournament all my life, surprised it could all be around the corner. And of course, to some extent, it was.
0: But 12-5 felt like, yeah, you wanted it closer than that, didn't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess on that, I mean, they are just knackered by that, start, that stage of the tournament anyway. And you've got the adrenaline in the first session and the second one of four, I guess the end still feels a long way off. Maybe that's it, I don't know. I've never played in a World Championship. But um, yeah, 12-5 did feel very much... Over there was much more talk of will this get to the fourth session rather than will Trump turn this around. Um But having said that, yeah, we said I think the, the consensus was he needed to win that third one six two or better, and he did. So it was it was very much alive going into the fourth. Um If he, like I said before, if he'd have won the first couple, then yeah, you know, that would have been very tense. But and Ronnie must have been feeling it a bit um after that third one because. You know, that, the feeling of someone coming back at you must be pretty grim. But uh, he didn't look like it when he came back out. He made a couple of half-centuries in the first few frames and that really felt like it was over then. Um, so, yeah, like we said before, it, you need it to be closer to be a classic. Uh, but there was, some great, there was some great quality in there. The standard was very high on the last two sessions. So, good but not great, I would say, the final. Yeah, and, it, and this is not a hindsight thing. I think
1: a few of the wisest judges I know in that building were kind of saying that it, it did look like that was Ronnie's bad session of the match. You know, that, that they weren't saying it, they were saying it before 7pm on the last night. That was kind mm. of the feeling. It was his first session he lost in the whole tournament, Phil. I mean, doesn't that show how, yeah. how excellent he was throughout the, the sort of 17-day marathon? But that was not the, not everyone's view, but the consensus, I think, was ronnie's probably had his band session now and he'll probably still go on to win as you say that trump was terrific on on, on the monday afternoon couldn't give him enough credit for that real real resilience real kind of courage from a long way behind but then that bang bang 16 and 11 i think i called it half an hour on twitter but it might have been a little bit less than that it might have been 20 odd minutes actually Mm. it was so quick and I mean, the wind went out of Trump's sails then. Really, it was kind of a matter of time from then. We, we did it did extend to an interval, so and in and in fact, Trump won another one after the interval. But in the end, eighteen thirteen, Ronnie got over the line. And well, what scenes of emotion, Bill? I mean, that very very long embrace between Osullivan and Trump. Osullivan yeah. clearly moved by what Trump said. I mean,
0: that was a hell of a sight, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit, it went on for so long. <laughs> but they, Trump didn't say it had got uncomfortable afterwards. He said he, he was loving it, but it's, it seemed that it was it was too long a hug. But, you know, they were both uh, saying very nice things to each other, apparently. And I'm not sure, I'm not so sure if I fully believe that was all because, Ronnie, of what Trump said to O'Sullivan, because he sort of went in for the hug, and was doing the hug before Judd could have said anything. But, yeah, I mean, we must have been moved by... Trump said a few times that he was his like hero growing up, so he must have touched him in a way there. Um, but yeah, no, you don't see that from Ronnie very often at all these days. Getting emotional about anything really when it comes to his snooker, he's uh, he's almost turned off his emotion, doesn't he? Doesn't try? He tries not to get too up or down about it. Often says he doesn't mind wh- whether he wins or loses. But yeah, something got to him then because he really went. and it was it was nice to see because. Um, I don't love his sort of whole shtick about I don't care if I lose in the first round. I'd be happy in the Eurosport studio. You know, you want you watch sport because it's about emotions partly, and you want that you want it to mean everything to them, and they're trying their heart out to win. Um, so it was nice to see how much it actually does mean to him. Um, and he was in great form afterwards, wasn't he? You could tell he was sort of he was loving life in the press conference and everything afterwards. So it was nice. Yeah, Nick Metcalf on the Talkist Nuka podcast got a couple of uh, friendly
1: pats uh, on the on the stomach, Phil. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I was thinking it's Sir Henry Cecil on the day Frankel won his last race at Asgard, I think was the last person in sport to do that. But Ronnie was giving us all a little, uh, um, you know, a little gesture, wasn't he really? Even the the gentleman and the ladies of the press, we all had a little bit of a moment, didn't we? You know, yeah, I, he was pretty, pretty way around the way. room. I think in an appropriate way. There was sort of a pause there and Listen, I've been around this business long enough when there were very, very special moments. I think journalists also recognise that. And this was one of those. It was, uh, you know, just a, a, a very, very special achievement. What you said about the documentary is important. And I, I had basically one of the world's slowest brainwaves. On, a, on mm. about the middle weekend, it suddenly came to me. It was at, actually after the interview that Ronnie did after the second round. The first round was good, entertaining, with the old glasses and all that. But the second round, and I was taking copy down and, you know, writing a story up from that. The interview to Rob Walker was absolutely brilliant. I mean, it could have been five or six top lines from it. It was, you know, wading through the mustard and, you know, there were lots of lines in this tournament and the class of 92, we we're, we're will, you know, willing each other on. It's an unspoken thing. We want to be the last one standing type thing. And it was just loads of great stuff. Williams is an animal, absolute animal. I suddenly thought, wait a minute, this is all for show and I mean that in a good way it's always been all for show to, with Ronnie to some extent but this was like you know on steroids all for show it was <laughs> on the table off the table it was just yeah I mean I'll tell you one thing this documentary is going to be um, you know compelling viewing film I mean, sign me up to whichever streaming service shows that I mean it's going to be what I mean what he was talking about you know he doesn't know how, what length it will be whether it will be an hour 90 minutes he thinks it could be he mentioned a a series of five of one-hour episodes. There's so much footage, he gave them pretty much carte blanche, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Going out for his run, his hotel room. And, you know, we were so conscious of those cameras, weren't we? Just being on the Crucible, they were everywhere. And it's uh, it's going to be a hell of a watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, famously, the Crucible's quite a tight space and not just in the arena, all sort of um, the, the little space where we had the press conferences is very small. So when it was rammed full of extra cameras, it was very tight in there um and yeah the, the nice thing is you know he revealed that he was mic'd up throughout every game he had that microphone in his waistcoat didn't he so you know we've all seen the world championship but um but we know there's going to be much more to come that we haven't seen or heard so it is going to be very intriguing um and yeah I think he was generally sort of on form in his interviews I think I can't remember what was it after the quarterfinals Max McGuire Maguire he was in there and he's he almost lapsed into when the one of those interviews he does where he was just sort of, I don't care. But I think even then he sort of perked up a bit by the end of it. I think he was as tired as of the tournament perhaps after that one. Yeah.
1: I noticed that. He was a bit more like the usual one he But Yeah.
0: But I think, I think he was sort of aware that he should he tried not to do that. I mean, I don't blame him. Yeah, he, he would have been knackered and he... But, you know he wasn't like blanking people but you know he just he just sort of retreat into that mode where he's just giving quite rubbish answers but i think he perked up by the end of it anyway and yeah the rest of them he was that first round he was just like it was like a stand-up routine wasn't it and he got his silly glasses on and things it was it was quite extraordinary really but uh yeah he was on fine form on and off the table for near enough all of it and yeah it's it's almost you can't complain it was just incredible really but I don't think anyone played their best against him. I think all like, all his opponents would have come away thinking, oh, I didn't I didn't give him the best game I could have done." Um, and that's not taking away from O'Sullivan, but sort of felt that he never really had to hit top form himself. He played very well, but um, yeah, he was just never fully pushed. And all those players he played are capable of pushing him, um, but yeah, they just didn't.
1: That's the first nice way of saying it, actually, there. I mean, uh, on some levels, I wonder if Dave Gilbert gave him a bit of the hardest hit. Did that go to 6 5? I mean, it went 10 5 in the end, but it felt like Gilbert, yeah. you know, had that 3 0 lead and kind of, I mean, Adam and Maguire were non events, weren't they? Just mm. non contests. And I mean, yeah, Ronnie didn't have to play well at times in those matches. It, it was, I mean, you only have to play what's what's in front of you. But yes, it, there was the impression that, wait a sec you know people were sort of asking me throughout who I thought was going to win and there was always that thing after about a week or even a week and a half or Williams is playing the best but can he keep it going throughout and there was always that thing you know a lot of things are pointing to Ronnie here weren't they it was like um, he's conserving energy he's i think was it 14 frames he dropped before the one table stage i mean that that's that's hardly anything in a world championship really i mean it's yeah, I mean, to tell you what, it just comes to my mind, I spoke to Sean Murphy uh, today for an interview going out uh, in Wednesday's Metro, um, and he, he was sort of saying, you know, well, Ronnie says he's not bothered, but, you know, I think we saw quite how bothered he is by that reaction, and that that from Sean was a nice way of saying And it, he was mm. kind of... Um, the way he said it about that, that you know, moment with Trump was... He said, everyone in the game has always known how much it means to Ronnie. This is how Sean put it. But this was the public. He let the public in for a few moments, yeah. and the public saw. I mean, that worked for me generally. Yeah, yeah, it was a very very long embrace. That's true, but that worked for me as an image and as a you know a whole one of the defining images of the tournament, really. And it, yeah, it was just. A, I mean it's never not an emotional night on the last night there Mm -hmm. but it's such a draining marathon and it's just the end for everybody but it just felt like something special happened in that building that room that night and you know seeing Molly get over the line I was in there for those closing balls as he potted them and um, you know those celebrations it was just yeah special really and you know you just have to Think about it. I mean, the way I expressed it in a sporting life piece was, you know, when, when he became a professional, when he burst onto the scene, John Major was Prime Minister. Bill Clinton was in the White House. We hadn't even heard of the Spice Girls. That's how I put <laughs> it. And uh, I said, you know, Scott and Charlene hadn't long left Ramsey Street, for heaven's sake. I mean, this was a long, long time ago. And to think he'd been at the top for that long. I mean, we know it's not the sport that necessarily, you know, needs those kind of, you know, athletic abilities as others do. But nevertheless you know it's an extremely mentally taxing sport and to be that pin sharp as he has been most of the time for, for 30 years and still going strong I mean another way he outshines Henry frankly is just longevity yeah. Henry, Henry retired the first time around at 43 well this just won the world title at 46 I mean it's just it's mind-blowing really and he's talking about doing maybe a decade more and I think he could be good for a decade
0: more yeah I mean it's hard to say It's hard to put time on it because they're already past the age where you thought they'd get worse. And I'm including John and Mark in this as well. And they're clearly not. Um, They look comfortably competing with all the best players in the world. So, you know, we're just guessing if we're trying to think when they are going to start declining. Um, And yeah, I mean, he's number one in the world and world champion. So it's not going to be any time in the immediate uh, future, is it? So. Yeah, uh, even if he starts getting worse in five years, you know him getting worse is still going to be better than near enough everyone else anyway. So yeah, mid-50s, you wouldn't be surprised if he's still winning things. Um, and you know, yeah, with the whole seven World Championships thing, the whole focus has been on seven for so long. And, and that's just equally, I, don't, I can't think of it another time in sport where we've been on about a record, but it's not to break it. Uh, we've just been obsessed with him equaling it. Mm. Um, but actually, obviously, it's going to be, that's going to fade into insignificance when, if he breaks it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everyone, and Judd Jud was very certain on that. He said he was confident that he'd get at least one more um, and maybe, maybe like more on top of that. Jimmy White was talking about 10 and you can't rule it out. I, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on more than one, but I would bet on him winning one, Definitely. Yeah,
1: I, I think I probably would. But you know what also crossed my mind? Well, you're right about the thing about equaling, but the, the way I think about that is I, there's a sense of impatience. It was almost a bit of a frustration. I think we all knew deep, most of us know deep down that Ronnie's the greatest, but there was always that thing that you needed a, a completest thing, which want. Mm. why I think it's only equaling rather than beating this time. And also, because frankly... Bonnie's ahead and everything else, you know. It's not mm. like, oh, yeah, but there's Henry saw doing this. You know, it was just this, really. Um, and the other thing that came to my mind, there will be something fitting about them being seven each, you know, staying seven each for me. Uh, I, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like them sharing, though, those two titans of this sport, you know, it wouldn't bother me if it stayed seven-seven, you know.
0: No, yeah, and... It'd be, and, yeah, because sort of that's, that shows the difference of it because they have had completely contrasting careers of, of Hendry just doing it all in a relatively short space of time and I saw doing it over such longer periods of time such different players as well. Um, so, yeah, it would be nice to have that sort of juxtaposition there um, and keep Hendry sort of... Not that we'd forget Hendry if, if Ronnie just took his record, but uh, it'd be, it's nice to have his name still right at the top of the record books as well because... Um, You know, he he did it in a. You know, I think we've all agreed that it's slightly less impressive because everyone is saying O'Sullivan's oh, the greatest now, but it was impressive in a different way to win all those titles on the spin and just be, you know, to go into World Championships almost like a zon on favourite. You know, you don't see that anymore. I and mean, O'Sullivan was six to one for this, whereas um, I think we said it before. It's like when Phil Taylor was just a dominant in darts you know, odds on before they'd even arrived at the building. It's crazy, really, to think about. But no, someone's never done that, so it's just a different thing. But so in that way, it would be nice that they, yeah, to stay level, so both those methods, if you like, not really methods, but you know what I'm saying, um, are respected.
1: You're really right to remember that, that Hendry was such a sort of dominant force and kind of went into it expected to win, because it is so different from now. I mean, we are talking mm. about a dozen could have been 15, 16, 17 people that we thought genuinely had a chance of winning here. Whereas Hendry, you just expected him to win. And that hasn't happened in the 20 years or 20 odd years since Hendry started winning regularly. The other thing about Ronnie's wins generally, I mean, now there's two in three, OK, 12 and 13, but they're kind of spread out, really. I mean, oh mm. one one was seen by many as quite late for him winning it. He was still a very young man then, but because he burst on the scene, won the UK in 93, it was like about time Ronnie won it by the time we did in 01. But it's kind of spread out, isn't it? 04, 08, 12. So you're right, he's had other contenders. And frankly, I don't think Ronnie's ever got, I've, we've ever gone into a tournament and thought, Ronnie's almost definitely going to win this, have we? Even when he's been brilliant, you know, because he's been, we thought he probably would some, some years, but at this time, certainly not. I mean, nah. he was one of a number of strong candidates, didn't we, basically?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, those two that he won brilliantly in 12 and 13, there's obvious reasons why people doubted doubting him, because he was barely playing, and he sort of, you know, confounded the critics by, uh, just made us look silly by just doing it so easily. But even then, when he was at his absolute best, there was clear reasons to think he might not do it. Um, and he's got in favour, Snookerbacker wrote quite a good piece on that. He's went through all the tournaments and... Uh, Picked out, just worked out who was the favorite for each one, and how they did. And I think he's he's been the favorite. He's been like the worst favorite in the history of the world championship. If you see what I mean, he's been the favorite most times when he hasn't won it. Um, but then I suppose, you, yeah, there's sometimes you get vagaries in betting, and people just bet on Ronnie O'Sullivan more than they should because it's Ronnie O'Sullivan, I guess, and that can change the price. But uh, yeah, he's he's certainly not uh, anything as or has been anything like what Hendry was in terms of he's going to win it, find a, find a good reason why someone could stop him um, rather than actually it being sort of reasonably level in a lot of matches. So, yeah, very different ways. Um, I don't know, there's this theory in sport, isn't it, that if there is the one dominant person, then it's more, it's more um, it's, it's better success for the sport. They talk about like when Woods was dominating golf yeah. and that sort of was an absolute boom. Um, but I, I prefer it when there's loads of contenders. I think it's more interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've said it before. There's, there's hard evidence to suggest that when there's a dominant player, that sport's more popular because people either love that person or they just want them to lose. So mm. there's that factor, uh, definitely, um, in, in, a, in a number of sports. But yeah, you have to think that there's something great and interesting. I know it's, a, I think I'm right in saying it's relatively the same in dance now. It seems to be mm. where there are a number of strong candidates for each. Tournament, unlike the days of Phil Taylor, and that's obviously probably good for darts in a different way. And we have that now. I mean, you know, I know we're going to do, a, you know, look through the season at the end of this episode, and this is our last one of the season. And we were just sort of talking before we came on air about a few of the stories. And we we're like, bloody hell! When you mount them up, there are so many different <laughs> winners and myriad success stories from different parts of the tour. It makes you, make sure you realise, you know, how competitive it actually is. Now, we're not always a podcast record, but I think we try and be. Uh, when it comes to world championships. So, dot the eyes and cross the T's. Let's let's talk about the semi-finals. And, well, Judd Trump, 17, Mark Williams, 16, was just a, I know, a classic for the ages. Just one of the great, great crucible matches. Trump so dominant in the first session, 7-1 up. Williams not happy with the conditions, very clearly. We saw him rolling the cue ball uh, as he went to the interval, suggesting it was rolling off. Not happy at all, and clearly that probably got in his head. Um, I think he was tired as well in that match. Long way behind, I think it was 12-5, wasn't it? But he rallied superbly to only 13-11 behind with one session to go. And actually, it looked kind of like he was going to win it because I thought Trump looked really devoid of confidence at times in that last session. I thought his cue ball control had gone and it looked like the writing was on the wall. But then, what resilience from Trump? And again, we wouldn't have seen this from him a few years ago, I'm sure, to be 15-16 down and win 17-16. And what I was saying to anybody that was in within earshot, if they wanted to hear it or not, Phil, was that <laughs> to me, there were three, unless I got this wrong, I think I'm right. There were three examples of a player being one up with two to play. And I couldn't believe in each case the person lost. I couldn't really believe that Robertson lost to the Zowski in that position. Mm-hmm. When you consider the respective careers they've had and the kind of players they are, even given Neil Sheffield record. I was really surprised when Higgins beat Lozowski. I know Higgins is a better player than Lozowski, but I think because the way the season had gone and the, how well Jack was winning there, that was... And this time, I have to say, you know, one up or two to play. I fancy Williams, but Trump, absolutely brilliant way to finish. G the crowd up before the last frame. You know, he, saw, <laughs> you know, he really engaging with the crowd. We saw that a lot from him and he won it and... I mean, he had those two cross-doubles and, you know, he played the cross-doubles, but element of luck in them going in, obviously, both of them particularly. But, um, you know, I think that you have to give credit to both, really, in the end. Williams for fighting back, Trump for getting over the line, but what a privilege to watch.
0: Absolute mammoth match. Yeah, it was It was uh, probably my favourite game of the tournament, but then there's two or three contenders, you know, the sound against Robertson would be tough to beat. But, yeah, th- this is right up there. It was... So good from Williams. Uh, well, both really, but to make that comeback was amazing. And yeah, it looked like looked like he was going to go the whole way. Uh, he was he was brilliant. Uh, whatever whatever was wrong with the conditions in the first session um, was obviously fine by um, well, definitely by, by the third, but I think by the second as well. Um, and yeah, he was absolutely amazing. He he's obviously he was brilliant the first two rounds, like absolutely amazing against Page, especially. Then um, he seemed to have just sort of not just dipped below that a bit, um, but he roared back into it, and it looked like he just about timed it right. But um, yeah, another real horrible deciding frame loss for him. It's, uh, it's the third. Well, he might there may be more. But it's the third very memorable one this season after the Masters semi-final and the Tour Championship yeah. uh, quarterfinals. I guess it was against Ronnie. Yeah. Um, real kicks in the teeth. Um and he said afterwards he just thinks he's he he's not good enough at the that the top level to get over there, which is not true. You know, if he, he was good enough to win sixteen frames against Judd, you know, he's not he's not good enough to win one more. Um he's just been very unfortunate in those deciders. But um I think he's enjoyed uh, their handshake before the set before the side was really nice. And Williams just looked like he enjoyed being in such a great game. And that's what he said the next day when he sort of chilled out about it a, a bit. Um uh, he said he was just like really proud to be giving guys, you know, he's 15 years younger than him, um, a top game in the semi final of the World Championship. And it was it was brilliant entertainment for us, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, no, it really was. Well, you know, an absolute brilliant, brilliant match. And uh, I love David Hendon's uh, tweet, actually, after that, you know, with a picture of the Crucible saying another, you know, incredible afternoon of the drama. I hope we never leave this place. And of course, we haven't mentioned yet, or have we, that have we mentioned that Judd said he'd like to stay there? I don't think home? so. We, but that was interesting, wasn't it, from Judd? Let, let's mention that, you know, him saying that, well, I may have said we should
0: look for a new venue, but I don't think so anymore.
1: That's a key moment, isn't it?
0: Certainly helpful for the, everyone who wants it to stay, yeah, because, um, you yeah, know, people like Judd have very powerful voices in the sport, um, uh, or they certainly can, you know, you know, it can influence things. So, yeah, for him to say that. And I think that was the, the general vibe that the BBC played that great. In the interval, there was a great um, montagey kind of thing, which they always do brilliantly. And uh, I saw just refs of tweets and posts on social media immediately afterwards saying we can't ever leave. Uh, and I think that was the feeling by the end. So I mean, yeah, you're not going to watch a World Championship final and think, "Oh, we could leave it, could we?" No, <laughs> it's it's always going to be like that. And uh, yeah, it's good. It was it was it was pleasing of Judd to say that because I think we're both in the camp of we want it to stay. I think the majority of people are. Not everybody, but yes, the
1: majority. The other semi-final was Ronnie O'Sullivan, 17, uh, John Higgins, 11. I mean, I was in for the session, and I'll tell you what, I couldn't have been luckier, actually, because it was a a marvellous session. The one that ended 10-6 to Ronnie, so the second session, it should have been 9-7. What was Higgins doing hitting that black so hard? I mean, I think Mm -hmm. he said he wanted to make a century, split those other reds up, but it was a crazy decision. It was the most, you know, mysterious too hard hit ball, if I'm saying that, rather poor English, since, since Ronnie smashed that pink against Selby in the, in the 2014, yeah. finally. He whacked it. I mean, I think I listened to both commentaries and it was Dennis Taylor was like, you know, incandescent. Why is he hit it so hard? And I think, I think it was Dave Hendel on Eurosport. It was something like, wow, good grief. I mean, it was just a... But the way the balls were... I think it was, was it 51 hair with 51 on. You sort of thought, well, money won't get back in it still. But I mean, what a clearance to get the respotted black. I mean, goodness goodness me, the yellow, the flick on the black. I mean, it just had everything. And then to win the respotted black. And, you know, you don't call it over because it's John Higgins at 10 6, only four behind. But it felt like, you know, we love our turning points. That was almost
0: the ultimate turning point. Yeah, well, it was very much what Higgins has done to people. Throughout his career, that's what he's sort of famous for doing, isn't it? But, um, yeah, it was unbelievable stuff. And maybe that I can't actually remember what game is. We spoke about it la- on the last pod where Higgins played a shot, and I was listening to Neil Folds commentating, and he couldn't believe what he'd done or why he'd done oh, he it. He put it
1: the was... cue ball in, didn't he? And he yeah. only had one ball to make it over the line for snookers, and he mysteriously screwed the cue ball into the middle. And that was amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: that was it. And. Um, Okay, I don't know, maybe that's an age thing and it's a concentration thing because that, that's like the least John Higgins kind of things and there's two examples of it in this tournament that, well, that first one didn't cost him, but that, that second one against Ronnie could have cost him. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's an age and concentration thing, I don't know, because um, it's not what you'd associated with him at all. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was amazing from Ronnie, though, the clearance was incredible. Um mm-hmm. I saw, saw Alfie Burden tweeting that he thought it was very lucky. He gave us all those little flicks. He said it was one of the luckiest clearances he's ever seen. But I mean, you get little bits of luck with it. but there were some amazing pots in there. It was really, really good. And uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to your photo journalism skills because that photo of you, of, of Higgins taking a selfie with that fan was incredible. The look on his face was exactly how, what you would expect it to be. But sometimes people would put a brave face on me. He just showed his emotion there.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was meeting our friend David Tyndall actually, and it's a delight to see Dave. So, um, you know, I hope I say this in the right spirit, but I think I wanted to say a little bit more on that tweet. I actually wanted to say that Higgins was an ashen face, but I kind of... You know, I was meeting Dave and I thought, thought, you know, I can't just uh, wax lyrical on my phone here while I'm meeting a friend, you know, and uh, we we had a bit of a nice tour of the Crucible. So uh, I think I left it for punters to to decide what his face was like. But yes, no doubt about it. You know, he went from fan to fan with the expression, face like thunder. (laughs) Let me just say, this was no more than about seven or eight minutes, something like that, after that moment. He was straight out of the dressing room you know, whatever, just, you know, got his bag together, well, not straight out. And, but yeah, you know, he could have easily brushed people aside, easily. But no, he he didn't smile for anybody. He was faced like thunder, ashen-faced, but went from person to person. And that's another Higgins moment coming up, actually, and you reminded me of it, that the third session, which I thought was in so many ways a compelling session, it was top match play snooker on that Saturday morning. Shout out to Stephen Hendry. I mean, what a pundit he is, really. I mean, he nailed that session. He nailed every emotion in that room, only with a little sarcastic smiles. There was a bit of edge there that morning, a little bit of edge. But Higgins just threatened to go, you know, within two, I think. I think he might have missed a ball to middle, a red to middle, I think, and he sort of slammed Mm -hmm. his cue. Trump came up with a great, great quote, actually, I think, after the semis. Like, oh, it's all these people that aren't, they're saying they're not bothered, they're the ones smashing their cues. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I thought,
0: yeah, that's a lovely that's a good way of saying it. That wasn't incredible. I mean, he was lucky not to break something. It was, I've never seen anything quite well, probably have, but you know, for him, I've never seen anything like that with that aggression. Exactly. But I was doing some writing
1: in my Sheffield base, actually, Phil, and I came out of uh my flat there and saw Denise, actually, and then saw John Higgins straight away. Now, I wouldn't dream of, you know, John. Can I grab a word? But he he turned to me, and we had an exchange. And he said he was devastated the way he was playing. Uh, Ronnie was deadly in the balls. He was loving it. He said it was a great occasion, <laughs> and that was it. And I thought, oh my goodness me! And almost the first thing I did was message you. I don't think it's a big trade secret, and said, as you know, I say, it's on social media. Is this inappropriate? I think we decided it wasn't inappropriate because it was you know, had he, had he given that away some sort of secret, of course I wouldn't dream of doing that. But I was very glad to have the chance to sort of speak, and I thought, there are so many examples of that. I know we say it time and time again here, but snooker players, he's just played the third session of a semi-final, and he's talking to a journalist, you know, on his way back to his accommodation in Sheffield, stopping in the street, and you know, it's written all over his face, the emotions written all over his face, and how intense it all is, and but yeah, you know, it just says it all. But I think he was frustrated, genuinely. And he said the similar things to the press after the, the match. He, he didn't feel like he really played well enough. And that's probably true. And he fell away a bit towards the end. And, you know, it's a fairly comfortable-ish scoreline, really, for you know for a Classico match, as we call it now in snooker. And I think he, he led disappointed. When he talks about his season in the round... I mean how many matches and snooker did he win <laughs> he didn't have the trophies to back it up but what a season in so many ways of consistency but I think it ended a bit on the sound and I think he just you know
0: understandably couldn't wait to get away and go on holiday yeah I mean he wasn't amazing throughout the tournament really he ought to get to the semis um, he said after he beat Lesowski in the quarters that he's sort of just hanging in there for most of it obviously he turned it on at the right times but it's so interesting thing about to say about his matches I've not I not looked at what the stats are, but he must have won so many more matches than some of the people that have won titles this season. People like Joe Perry and Fang zhen Um, even Gilbert, who's had a good a decent season. But Higgins must have won way more than some of those guys and got nothing to well, he's got a fair amount of cash to show for it, to be fair. But he's got no no silverware to show for it. So yeah, a lot of work for no trophies. But um yeah, he was he was quite he was trying to be philosophical afterwards. and He was quite, he split it into two, didn't he? He said he was really annoyed with how he played. It wasn't good at all, but he, he insisted he did enjoy the occasion, which must be hard because while you're frustrated with yourself to be able to enjoy the occasion, but it's nice that he said did say that straight away because, uh, you know, they always say, you don't know how many times you're going to get back to the one table set up at the Crucible. You know, you would think John Higgins would again, but you don't know.
1: You don't know. Of course, they're, they're, they're all getting older and, you know that's why we must savor these, you know, occasions. And I know some people were sort of saying that <laughs> on some levels it might not have been the best advert for the sport. And I, I do actually get that. I do get that. You know, but I think you've also got to appreciate these are next level characters. You know, we won't see the likes of this again. You know, I think I might. I'm right in saying that. In the same way. In our lifetimes, I'm sure we're not going to see the likes of Federer, the and, and Djokovic again. We're just not. They're just supreme characters. We might see one, we might see two, but three, the same sort of age at the same time, all battling for titles. I mean, it's just, you know,
0: it's it's so special. We say it time and time again, but we, we have to keep saying it. Yeah, and I think you've got to take into account that what the standard they're performing at. You know, some of the... Ronnie threw out, really, he was very consistent but Williams, the way he was playing it sometimes, it's not like these guys are fading away and the young players still can't get past them. You know, they're, they're as good, if, if not a little bit better in some ways, or you certainly can play as well as they ever have in at the right time. So, yeah, it's not it's not concerning in that front that these old codgers are sort of just fading away as you'd expect them to, and still no one can beat them. Um, it's not like that at all. Actually, that reminded me, I wanted to mention this. Judd Jud made an interesting point. Um, because uh, like Ronnie says, he well, Ronnie doesn't really comment on it. W- Williams says he's nowhere near as good as he used to be, but he's still sort of plugging away. Mm-hmm. Higgins has said he thinks he's better now than he ever has been. And Judd made an interesting comment on that. He said he thinks Ronnie's way better now than when he started playing him when he first came on tour. He's, uh, he said he used to find it relatively easy to beat him, which I'm not sure how true that is, but um, he says Williams is getting better, even though Williams says he's getting worse. But he says about Higgins that he's not as good as he used to be, even though Higgins is the only one who says he's better than he used to be. So Judd sort of has very <laughs> interesting opinions on those guys than their own opinions on themselves, which is quite interesting. But that is quite Judd Trumpy. I've said this a few times. It, he'll quite often be asked a question in a press conference and he will, he will reply with, no, not really. And it will always be the opposite of what the guy is going for. But uh, yeah, no, it's quite an inter- interesting observation from him, I thought. It is, and I I had this conversation with a couple of people up there.
1: I, it, it's a very nuanced situation with each one of them and 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 indeed the three together in tandem, the class of 92. I do get the feeling a little bit, and I, I heard Mark Williams say this once, and I thought, ah, yeah, this is a bit of realism here. You know, he was sort of saying, well, actually, no, I was really good 20 years ago. And I think there's, there's a temptation to be a little bit recency biased with those three now about being better than... The, I want to say it's almost disrespecting how good they were 20 years ago, but I think it's almost maybe forgetting it a bit. I mean, they were sort of supreme at times. Listen, you know, I might leave it to better judges than me, frankly, to to, to delve into the nitty-gritty when they were absolutely at their best. But I I wouldn't get carried away with the idea they're better than they've ever been now because they've been unbelievable in the past. Mm. Do you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely, and uh, and they had like Hendry to compete with a, a lot of their peak years as well. I mean, Williams won uh, all three or four. Of the well, I mean, he won all the triple crown in one season, but he won the fourth biggest tournament as well. I think, um, and that was in I think that was in two thousand, wasn't it? So that was when you know Hendry was still very much <laughs> a top player as well as those guys. So yeah, he, he can't have been playing bad stuff then, that's for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You'd have to look, go and look at how, how consistent they were being all the time. I guess consistency is the problem. But, you know, I said it earlier in the tournament, the way Williams played against Jackson Page, he can't really play any better than that. Um, but was he? is he doing it as regularly as he was in the past? We'd have to look. But, yeah, they're still excellent, aren't they? There's no doubt about that.
1: Indeed, and you're right to point that out. He, he, before we even call it the Triple Crown, he won the, those three events and and the Grand Prix. So, yeah... And those guys, they were, as I say, at times so so brilliant. I mean, Ronnie made a what you know, one four seven in five minutes for heaven's sake, twenty five years ago. We just had the anniversary of that, didn't we? But listen, the the thing we can all agree on is that they continue to have spurts of absolute brilliance, whatever age
0: they are. You know. Yeah, and I guess they're just different. I mean, there, there was that interesting piece where Ronnie sat down with uh, Alan McManus and watched the the record-breaking 147 and he was almost sort of he's been quite critical of himself and he was like he didn't really enjoy seeing how he played that he was just thinking he wasn't very good um so i mean obviously it was the most incredible thing ever but they they see themselves as better players because they do things i don't know they've probably worked on things and they think they've improved certain sides of the game um so yeah in some ways they're the best judges of themselves obviously but sometimes that you might not be you know they might be skewed in a way if you see what i mean no, definitely. I definitely
1: do think, think that's that, that's right. Well, I mean, the tournament as a whole, uh, funny enough, I, again, it's that, that word nuance. I, I did actually meet two or three learned people, journalists that I know, that thought they found it a little bit underwhelming um, at times. A bit of a slow burner till that Selby-Yan match, perhaps. I think we sort of said that. But I also have people messaging me saying this is, feels like it's been an epic tournament. and. You know, if you put the little piece of the jigsaw together, I thought, well, we've had the longest frame in Crucible history. We had a one 7 and that epic reaction to it from Neil. What a wonderful night, that Monday night. We had, you know, a classical meeting in the semi-final, an unbelievable semi in the, in the case of Trump and, and, and Williams, and then the story of only getting seventh. So you put all that together, I sort of think... If it wasn't a great, great world championship, it was a bloody good one. <laughs> you know that—that's thats my considered view, Phil. That's my tired view after 17 days.
0: The yeah. qualifiers, a month. It was bloody good. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if you've seen it because you, you, I know you're travelling today, but I wrote a review of the tournament, and I, I split it up into um, different like categories, which were drama quality. Controversy, history, atmosphere, shocks, and then the final, because that makes a big difference. And I gave them all a mark out of 10, mm. and the average came to 6.42 out of 10, which sounds quite harsh, doesn't it? It doesn't sound great. Mm. Um, and I, that... What's my face? I, I wrote though? that at the end. Like, I, I enjoyed that more than that score um, suggests. But then I think all my scores were right in the categories. So, yeah... I don't know. It's that, but that's uh, yeah. That's my unscientific method came out of that.
1: Well, I winced a little bit because that felt a bit low. But I tell you one thing: I wouldn't. I probably I wouldn't go higher than eight. I don't think because I think mm. I think you it has to be very very special to go higher than eight. I'd I'd think about seven. If I was in a generous mood, I'd go eight. Less generous, seven. Between the two, perhaps. I think it's around that ballpark. I think it needs to be a bit of a stronger first week. If I'm being hypercritical. Um, in terms of really dramatic matches. But again, reeling off those those elements, the 147, the longest frame, you know, the the Ronnie factor, you know, it that has to take the marks up somewhat. Yeah. Um, you know, it was I think one thing to say, Bill, actually, it really grabbed public attention. And it wasn't just the final, because the final is often good viewing figures, it was. I think two and a half, three million for the semi, you know, the one that came to an end in first, the, the, the Trump and Williams. Great, great numbers from the BBC. Steve Sutcliffe, who I was delighted to meet from the BBC over the last few days, told me that there were two, over two million views for the BBC coverage of the first day of the final online. I mean, wow. this is brilliant, brilliant stuff. And I have to say, just in my own little world, I'm not hamming this up, I don't quite know why, um, and so, if the other journalists noticed this as well, Rob Moore, our colleague from the Sun, I was getting outrageous levels of engagement, and I think more than genuinely I ever have. And I've, you know, I've been lucky to go to many events and, and, and do cover many events in a social media sense and for papers and what have you. And it could be Olympics, World Cup, Ryder Cup, Super Bowl, whatever it is. But this World Championship, I was putting up quite sort of bog standard newslines and get 200 likes. I've never had that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just pod a bit. Who knows? Maybe it's just the Ronnie factor. I don't know if you were finding similar things. The public interest in this was great and it just got bigger and bigger as it went on.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've got a load more followers on uh, on Twitter during this and I'm not sure if it was... Yeah, I don't know what it was, but it's, people seem to be interested in it, that's for sure. Um, I guess all the big names staying in, that's what we sort of locked... It, we lost in terms of big stories with shocks and that. But that's how we got that amazing semi-final lineup of uh you know those three legends and trump is in there with them and uh i suppose that kept the interest going um i think ronnie does have a big big thing to do with it um and i don't know maybe yeah but it was the first normal one we've had since 2019 but i don't know if that affects tv viewers as much or not it's i don't know but yeah it seemed it seemed to really catch the imagination that's for sure and uh yeah, like I said, I didn't want that that piece to make it sound harsh because I did really enjoy it. Um, and yeah, I would say, yeah, not the best World Championship ever, but that uh, that shouldn't sound negative. There can only ever be one best World Championship ever, but it was a very good one. Indeed, it was. And as I said in the few interviews,
1: we were lucky to be there, and many people were, and people, some people are fanatics like Chris Downer. We had an episode. Of the day. Um, we're going to say it at some stage, let's say thanks to Chris Downer. What a yeah, super guest. brilliant guest. And we lots of feedback about that. He was what a rich voice. He was terrific. We love that episode in Tudor Square. Thank you, Chris, for listening to us. You really were e- excellent, excellent value. And perhaps I'll mention a bit more about that l- later, actually, in the Crucible Almanac. But people like him, Kelly Barker, other people I know um, that will go for a lot of the tournament or nearly all of it, people that a bucket listing as is a phrase I don't really like, but people use that phrase now and, and they'll go for one session. It's very expensive now, by the way. Yeah. That's another thing to talk about maybe another time and even even more expensive next year. And I'm, I'm a bit worried about that in terms of it being a working class sport. But anyway, um, people love going. It's that sense of pilgrimage. And it was such a nice buzz this year about the event, I thought. And just to say... TV coverage-wise, a line that comes to my mind, that John Virgo and Dennis Taylor are doing one more year, film. Now, John Virgo, of course, told us last autumn that him and Dennis Taylor were told by the BBC that they were going this season. Well, it's been reported um, that they're staying for an extra year. It's been called a stay of execution. An ugly phrase, really. Um, and they're doing one more season. I mean, I, I thought Virgo was excellent. I really did. I mean... He had me. He had me on the last day at the the things that happen on a snooker table, and then a pause, <laughs> twelve foot long, six foot wide, with that voice. Oh my goodness! I mean, he, Dennis is good as well. Dennis has got his qualities, but for me, Virgo, top 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 notch. I miss him
0: massively after twenty twenty three. This tournament, I really will. Yeah, um, he was he was very funny when the pigeon came in, wasn't he? Um, the bit just the hello there was uh, hello. really really excellent. <laughs> um, hello, the hello there. Yeah, it was very funny. Um, and yeah, I think that's. I think that'll be the consensus among all snooker fans. Really, no one wants to see him go. So, it'll it'll still be a strange decision if that's if that ends up happening because. No one wants to see it happen. I think, I think the general consensus, and I don't want this to sound bad, but people were more bothered about keeping Virgo than they are about Dennis. Um, but that's just because Virgo's so good and you never know, maybe he might crop up on, a, on the ITV events or something. I mean, I know nothing about that. That's a guess. Mm. Um, but you know, it would be great to still hear him. I, I know he's going to still carry on doing the senior stuff. I think he said he's, he can have that. He's been told he can have that job for as long as he wants it. So he won't be completely gone. And, uh, it's nice that if, if that is now made official as well next year, we can have sort of a year of a send-off and I'm sure there'll be uh, some do's and stuff and there'll be plenty of pieces written, I imagine. Um, and it won't, yeah, it won't just be sort of shuffled off. Because so, they deserve it. I mean, they've been doing it as long as I've been watching snooker. It's, it's been those guys doing it. And uh, yeah, amazing contribution to the sport.
1: Definitely. I was delighted to sort of speak to them both and you know, certainly had the chance of staying in person. Thanks again to John so much for, you know, for, for, for appearing on the podcast. And, you know, they were both in good form and you could just see how much they, they were sort of enjoying the tournament, basically. Uh, Sean Murphy and Joe Perry go from strength to strength for me on the BBC. They're they really getting embedded in there now. They're both uh, a lovely way about them. Uh, they, they, they're both very, very good at doing it, frankly. And 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 you can see them go from strength to strength in the years to come. And that they're, they're very good additions, I think.
0: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, very, very good. Um, he seem to enjoy it. Uh, yeah, sure, I mean, Sean was making those noises about so he needs to secure up his future because he didn't know how much more he's going to play, really, effectively. But he's a bit mad. He's still a top player. So hopefully he's not taking his focus too much off playing because we all like to see him at his best. He's incredible to watch, so... Um, that would be my only concern on that part, but yeah, certainly in the box and uh, on the sofa, and they're both excellent. Yeah,
1: indeed, and of course, you were sport, um, you know, coverage with you know so many of our friends and colleagues on there, absolutely excellent. I was, I think, the just about the number one team in commentary for me, Dave Hender and Neil Folds c- calling the last session. I think it was Philip Stother and, uh, and Joe Johnson in the afternoon, and you know, top voices. It was nice to briefly bump into to Rachel Casey up there that, that came on this podcast, of course. Main presenter Radzi. you know, as I said Neil was there, and yeah, I mean they they, they just they just nail it really. And I had to say they covered that controversy an awful lot better than the BBC did. Uh, I mean, I I thought the BBC coverage of that was pretty limp actually. Um, you know, it was pretty much let's not talk about it, let's move on. Whereas you're a sport, you know, confronted it really. And it's not that hard to confront things if you put your, your mind to it. I mean, we all have our <laughs> moment, We you all like avoiding things at times, you know, and none of us are saints in that regard. You know, we all have our moments where we wish we'd been a bit more rigorous. But I think, you know, to sort of chat about Trump potting the yellow and how Ronnie will respond, that wasn't they weren't really the most important questions to answer. You know, you have to talk about Ronnie's behaviour and you know what well, I'm an ugly moment it was, frankly, and they didn't really do that. And uh, again, credit to Rachel for, for quizzing Molly as well on, about it and getting that line after the first session.
0: Yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's it's quite confusing as to why you wouldn't do that. You know, it seems just such an obvious thing to do. Like. You know, as I said before, it's not, you know, it's not a major, major incident. It's a stormy teacup. It it was an incident. It's what was being reported by anyone who was covering the snooker that day. You know, it was the thing people were talking about. So you've got to talk about it. So, yeah, I thought that was a bit strange. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But yeah, it just seems like an obvious thing to do if you're a journalist, doesn't it? Ask the questions about the thing that most people are talking about. Simple. We've lost enough sleep over the last uh, month, hey. Phil.
1: <laughs> Can't afford to lose any more. Um, Got to start banking the sleep back up now, haven't we?
0: <laughs> very true. It was a late one after the final last night, but it was a very enjoyable party. They are, they are good, those bashes they put on after, after the World Championship final. Well, let's talk about the party. I mean, There was a, there was <laughs> a, a,
1: a big old game of Connect Four, wasn't there? That's, that's one thing to say. There was a donut factory. I mean, you know, you don't get those at Super Bowls Phil, for their glamour. The old donut factory. It was a good job, but it was the most enjoyable one I've had. All down to the music. None of that boom, boom, bam, bang, bang. It was conga. We did the conga together, didn't we?
0: Got in the conga, yeah.
1: It was a uh, you know, to, you know, this charming man came on the, the turntable at one time. Some. Some fabulous tunes, a bit of sweet Caroline, I'm always, I'm always a sucker for that. They say it's played too much, it's not, it's always <laughs> <fun>.
0: <laughs> I was enjoying some Bon Jovi at one stage, that was a, that was a good one. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's funny with all the characters that are there. I know Ronnie was there at the start, he didn't stay very long, but uh, all the sort of pundits and commentators are there all night. Uh, I think I got out of there about four o'clock and uh, it's made today quite tricky, but it was all worth it. I was about the same a 4am departure, probably my latest, I think, of that
1: party, but I enjoyed it more than any other time before, I have to say. And Judd, credit, credit to him. He spoke so well in the arena. He was on really good throughout the night. I saw him chatting, engaging with so many people, people in the sport, just, you know, I say just fans, fans are really important. But, you know, it, 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 he wasn't, you know, chatting to people, you know, conditional who they were or they're important. Mm. He was giving everybody time. And I loved that. And I thought he, he was a real credit to himself and the sport, I thought.
0: Yeah, definitely. He's he's been he's been great. Um he seemed like he really enjoyed that tournament. He sort of was saying earlier that he was trying to learn to love the battle when he's not playing his best. And he seemed to do that. Um yeah he was great after final. Um yeah I think he was still there when I left for that time. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't <laughs> sulking away after losing quite the opposite. He was having a nice time. So uh no, I think he he's a great um ambassador for the sport, definitely. And uh I think he'll I think this season will sort of I don't know, he's come out of it quite well, I think. And all, all that stuff that Ronnie's saying, all that nice stuff to him and um at the end, no, it was it was a it was a good way to lose in a way. Um you know, you would never choose to, but <laughs> well, it, he played well. Ronnie said some great stuff about him, and I think he'll come back stronger next season and you know, again, we've said this a few times, we're talking about, like, he's had a bad season, he's won two massive tournaments, got to a world final. So I think he'll, we can expect more of the same next season, if not more.
1: Indeed. And, you the know, party
0: was fun, but there were so many
1: fun moments. And actually, you know, it's a hard slog. And, and there are downs as well. I think there are downs with any, you know, public event when you're busy working. It, it's a lot of stresses and strains in that building. But it's a lot of fun as well. I had great times chatting to various fans in the... The graduate, in the time I was up there in different places in the city and went to the quiz there one night, the a quiz. That was great fun. Uh, the last thing I remember of that night pretty much was Jason Ferguson and Sean Murphy doing "Play Your Cards Right. I mean, <laughs> now, now that's the World Sanuka Championship, Phil. You know, that, <laughs> that is why it's my favourite event in sport. It's not the only reason. It's a little symbol, an illustration of why it's
0: my favourite event in sport. We
1: have some fun, don't we?
0: It's great, yeah. I mean, it just it's, we've spoke about it before about that being sort of the centre of the snooker world, and just it's not just the Crucible. It's those, it's all round it. And you, the amount of people you just bump into, and uh, you know, everyone's everyone's really friendly and happy to chat, and it's great. Um Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's it's always the same feeling. You sort of towards the end, you're like, yeah, I'm ready for this to end, but as soon as it does. Oh, I'm really sad that it's ended. And you, I, you, I always get quite emotional that final night. I, everything Ronnie was saying was sort of getting me welling up. And I was like, it's not even, it's just the emotion of the final night. But it's a it matter what it does to you, really. But uh, that's why we love it, I suppose. You're so right. And I've been really busy today, t- Tuesday,
1: which has kind of helped with the crucible come down. So I haven't quite had the come down yet, but I, I sense it's coming the next day or two, frankly, certainly after this you know this, we recorded this 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 pod episode but then you know it's a sign of something special when you get come downs isn't it you only yeah. really get bad come downs after things that mean an awful lot
0: in life don't you and that's that's, I guess so. that's the way to look at it um, i'm going to go down actually on friday the, the, the senior starts on wednesday and i'm going to go down friday afternoon because uh, Holtz played and hendry played in the afternoon session so i'm going to go and watch that so that might help me ease me out as well of course, we've got the seniors coming up, important to say, back at the Crucible, absolutely.
1: And, um, yeah, that's a, a lovely, g- gentle snooker to enjoy for, for the rest for the rest of this week, of course. Now, Phil, I can't delay it anymore. Guess who has finally asked for a photo, for a selfie? Not just one, not just one. We both were, weren't we? Let, let's be clear here. We didn't meet, you know, we weren't mobbed in the street. It wasn't like, you know, you know...
0: Beatlemania. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, um, but we had fans come up to us, didn't we? And it was so nice, you know, it really was. I mentioned with Pat Fitzgerald, who we met, uh, Brian Campbell, Aid, who who came up to us from the party. And uh, yeah. Tell t- me about a disc jockey name that I've now forgotten that he goes under as well. He was lovely to meet. A student from the university there, Ethan, who's part of the snooker um, organisation of the at the um at the university which is great
0: we signed autographs for him i'd never signed an autograph before it was that was quite incredible
1: that's right and don't tell anybody too much uh you're saying on air now um about my first attempt at signature i mean that was (laughs) laughable wasn't it what was i up to there i couldn't hide my amazement after seeing your signature i just went what was that it was a terrible attempt i had to do it again i mean what sort of I couldn't believe it. No, this is the surreal part of the podcast. But trust me, it was a surreal experience for us. At it time. was. It was. It was lovely, and um, you know, people really saying to us that you know that they go on long journeys with us, and you know, I know we go on a bit too much at times, and maybe we'll, you know, again, that word nuance. Maybe we'll we'll think about you know streamlining our episodes a little bit. I know some people have said they're a bit too long. We do we do understand that, but other people are saying you know long journeys particularly in the car and our friend phil seymour's often saying that about car journeys you know we do keep people company you know sincerely it means a massive amount doesn't it it really does we love it when people say it we do this for ourselves we're not gonna pretend we don't of course we do but to get that feedback and know that people are enjoying it it just means the world
0: yeah absolutely i mean we are just sat here on zoom to each other in our living rooms like it's hard to take it's hard to sort of comprehend what, what people are thinking or when we're talking just rambling on but uh, yeah no it's lovely to hear when people say they, they enjoy it and uh, yeah so keep <laughs> if you ever want to send us any praise we will gratefully accept it <laughs> indeed and uh, well
1: it, it was some tournament um a bit more officious just a bit of a negative note a little bit more officious I thought than 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 I've been used to over the years certainly I'm not quite sure why there's a little bit more of I think from the press point of view but maybe even just general you know you can't go here you can't go there and snooker's never been quite like that so I don't quite know whether why that's happened maybe it's the pandemic thing and they're used to having stricter controls during that years in those years and that's carried on but yeah I mean the press seats are have gone the ones that have been there for decades and you know we're told that you know they like to have more room for the cameras there I'm not entirely sure that, that I'm that I quite um buy that after after 40 odd years but we can sit on the balcony but you know it's a it's uh quite a thing for, for that to go and I know it's not just about us in the press but uh, you know we are part of the championship we report on it and uh you know, we sell it in many ways, so uh, then that went down particularly well. But not just, you know, not just the press. I think there was an element, you know, certainly some fans I was speaking to were, were sort of thinking it was a little bit more of the slightly heavy-handed approach from from people in, in official capacity there, and I, I was a bit surprised by that.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know any reason for it. It's, it's all a little bit odd. Um, yeah, the press seats is a funny one. I mean, I've said on here before I don't get into. Uh, the arena enough when you're sat in the press room working away. But it, 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 it's very odd for a sport to not be able to watch the sport. I mean, we sit in the in the press room watching on the TV with the sound off because um, they don't have the commentary on because people have to record stuff in there and whatever. So you quite often got it on your laptop, the commentary on there, but then that's a few minutes behind the TV in the press room. You know, We're the ones there covering it. It's not it's not necessarily the most ideal situation, but... Uh, yeah, it was a, it's a little bit strange. And, yeah, uh, I'd heard one or two things, like you said. Um, you know, there was that story early on where Mark Allen was trying to just video the walk-ons and he was asked to asked to stop and move on. Um, it's just a little bit weird, isn't it? I mean, it's nothing to ruin anyone's tournament, but just, uh, yeah, slightly odd, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that, that that was the first little kind of warning sign from afar because I wasn't up there that, that same from Mark Allen. But I was hearing one or two other things as well. I had to say, you know... I would like to think that I and we call it as we see it. And I have to say, there was a slightly more officious tone and an atmosphere around the tournament than I've been used to. And it reminds me that you know, Peter Ferguson, who covered the game for many, many years, and I always enjoy chatting to him on social media, used to be a cover of Snook of the Daily Mail. He was on that series a few years ago, that Kelly Barker was on actually, um, the Superfan series and the, the kind of people that love the sport. He was always making the point on there that you could go anywhere as a journalist and Peter mm. was a number of sports. He said the access was tremendous. And we always talk about the access and it's still great. The access mm. is still great and the players are still great. But Peter was that making that point that, you know, you could kind of wander where you wanted, you know, to almost every extent in the Crucible. And, I'd be a bit worried if that, that was lost and that and that spirit of it was lost a bit. I'd be a bit concerned, but listen, let's not go over the top about it, but I think yeah. it's probably important to mention it as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's... Yeah, the access to the players and stuff is awesome. Um, yeah, I don't think that's going anywhere, but um, yeah, strange one. Um, and it probably will just be at the World Championship, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, there must be reasons for it, but yeah, we don't know. We'll see. Um, and this is a whole different tangent, really, but it just made me think of it for some reason the wandering wherever everyone. I went for a couple of drinks with my dad the other week, and he just never told me this story. And he, he first went to the Crucible in 1979, and the game he saw was a first-round game between Steve Davis and Dennis Taylor. He'd never told me this story before, and I thought, what, what a first visit that is. Wow. As a, how old he would have been then, but yeah, a young man. Um, but he was describing the, sort of what it was like then. and Because uh, I think that's what we were talking about. The players seem to be getting distracted a lot by the crowd this year you know, people just walking around in the line of sight. We were saying then, people just walked around between in while the frames were on and you get people walking down the stairs with big trays full of pints during the frame,
1: just <laughs> trying to be as quiet as
0: possible. And the players were just cracking on with it, but uh, obviously just smoke-filled room as well. But yeah, he'd never told me that before. It was just a nice little story. Oh, that's smashing. That's smashing. I- I like that a bit, a bit, of a niche one, but I quite like
1: that people that go to things for the first time and it's something really good. It's yeah. like we, we had correspondence, didn't we? Someone's first ever match, I think, was that Higgins and Williams at the Masters. Oh, yeah. I thought, wow, you know, that's that's marvellous. I love that. You know, you could pick any match. You know, it's going to be good, Higgins Williams, probably, but it's something as good as that, and then like your dad seeing you know, a match of that quality, that's great.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think that was Davis's first appearance at the Crucible. So yeah, a bit of history, really. No, that's brilliant.
1: And, uh, well, it, it was quite a show. It really was the World Championship. And we're going to take a break from this podcast um, for a few weeks. And uh, we are going to return. And I think the plan is that we've had a fair bit of correspondence in and we'll kind of tackle the majority of it when we return, actually. Because there's a bit of nitty-gritty there in some detail. I think they... Well, we we, we could sort of talk way around it. We're quite tired, aren't we? <laughs> we're very tired, actually. But not only that, it's a very long episode anyway. We do have some correspondence, and I hope you'll forgive us. It's a little bit on the kind of complimentary side, but, you know, the last one of the season, I think we are allowed. And, and did you want to kick us off with our friend Gary Moss? Absolutely,
0: yeah. I would say I hope Gary's listening, and I really hope to see him in this championship. It didn't quite work out, but we'll certainly go for a pint soon, Gary. Anyway, this is from him. Good evening, gents. Uh, being a regular listener of your brilliant podcast, I felt it only right to send an email in as, as the curtain comes down on another snooker season. Your podcast has been one highlight of a campaign, blessed with rich content both on and off the table. And as always, the World Championship didn't disappoint to round these things off in great style. It feels quite fitting that the first full Crucible since 2019 ended with Ronnie O'Sullivan's greatest moment in the game. And the coverage and plaudits he has received since has been quite warming for everyone involved in snooker. I think I agree with that. Yeah, it's been quite... It felt nice, didn't it, yesterday? It felt quite um, heartfelt and heartwarming in a way. I'm not not quite sure why, but it did. No, I'd agree
1: with that. And actually, Gary did also ask us some more specific questions and make some more specific points, and we will come to those, Gary. I did meet Gary, actually, and I think he's always great company. He really is. And I know we joked about this as well, and I I did with Gary, you know. We're quite... Similar in our mindsets about sort of schedules and quite nerdy things. We're very much into what are they going to do with the daily schedule at the UK, and we think we we know what they're doing. We two tables in operation, and however many days it is for the last thirty-two and last sixteen. But we're really into that, and I like that. We have got that kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe a numbers brain, or just you know, we're, we're quite into schedules. But he he's great company. I know he enjoyed a lot of days of the tournament, and uh, he's one of those who just loves it.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because when that news came up about the UK, you both messaged me asking about how that schedule was going to work and it, it hadn't even crossed my mind. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to try and work it out now, but why can't you just work it out? <laughs> <laughs> That's how it always works, Bill. You must have got to by now and I want anything to I know anything about the game world i just message you. Um,
1: not true. Um, <laughs> John, John on Twitter says, as the World Championship ends and the snooker season draws to a close, just a heads up, heads up, easy for me to say, just a heads up and huge thanks to Dave Hendon, Nick Metcalf and Phil Hay for the compellingly entertaining and snooker junkie vice-den of podcast that <laughs> are the other Snooker Scene podcast and talking snooker. Thanks, John. And, uh, you know, I had John in mind I, with that Scott and Charlene uh, line because he, he, he's a big he's a big Neighbours fan. That's coming to an end soon, which is uh, the end of an era. But, um, but yeah, that, 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 that's nice to hear. And uh, yeah, it was great to see Dave there and we always look forward to listening listen to snooker scene and we, we appreciate those kind words from John.
0: Yeah, I like I like being described as being in a snooker junkie vice i we going to have to sort of get a bit more X-rated next season, maybe. Um, so this is from Irene Sriharan. I'm going to say Sriharan, but sorry if that's wrong, on Twitter. Uh, my first time there this year, and met so many lovely people. It was strangely so emotional. What a season we've had and, make, and made all the better by Nick and Phil at talking snooker. Our sport is, in a, is a lesson in grit, heart and integrity and honour being part of the snooker community. And yeah, you do meet a lot of lovely people there. It's, it's good. Wandering to the graduate at almost any hour of the day and there'll be someone nice to talk to, I find, while the World Championship is on. Exactly right. And I've enjoyed it, it, engaging with Irene in recent
1: times. Comes across an absolute delight, an absolute snooker fanatic. And yes, you're right about the graduate and various other, you know, Mamas and Leonis. I went into various other, you know, Mercure hotels. Quite a good one for that. Mm-hmm. And you know, the common theme with snooker. It doesn't matter who you are, you know, you know how much money you've got, what you look like, you know, what what age you are, what gender you are. This is quite right. None of that should matter, of course, at any time. But it's like let's talk snooker, you know. Isn't yeah. it? It, you know, it could be something uh, an eighteen or an eighty year old. Let's talk about the game. One, well, that's that's lovely, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those shared interests that I think if you're into it, you're really into it. You know, if I meet someone I know that they like football, then you can have a chat about football. But people are interested in that at any sort of level. They might not really know very much. If you're into snooker, it's like great. Let's have let's talk about this because <laughs> we'll we'll both be properly into it. So yeah, and it's full of that. Um, yeah, yeah, great. Um, I think some I can't made a point. We might have even made this point, but you probably don't even have to go and watch a game in the Crucible. If you just want to go and hang around Sheffield at that bit of Sheffield for a few days while well, the World Championship's on, then you'd still have a great time. I've no doubt that people do that as well. Mm. Because, you know,
1: to get back to being a bit of a serious thing again, some people are saying to me they're finding it harder and harder to afford it, actually. They, they are saying that, you mm. know, Tickets are an awful lot now. I mean, I've been saying all well, the Premier League football sort of levels, but actually they're a bit more than that. Now, listen, Barry Hearn, I think, has said and would say that sport was probably undersold for a long time in this event. And I take that on board. It probably was, actually. But, but it's such a dramatic rise. And so, mm. listen, what I'm saying is people do definitely go there just for the atmosphere, for Tudor Square, for the big screen, for the graduate. And that's great as well. You know, everyone's and I made this point when I went on Radio Sheffield, that it's not just about, you know, the arena. It's all the businesses, the shops, the restaurants, the pubs surrounding it. You know, you can enjoy it just at home. You can enjoy it just being in the city. If you're lucky to go in the Crucible, that's that. It's all part of it, isn't it? You know, it starts with the Crucible, but it spreads out, doesn't it? If you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, my favourite around there is the Brown Bear. I don't know if you popped in there, but um, that is a lovely old pub. I went in with uh, my sister, who spends a lot of time in London, and it's cash only, which is rare nowadays. And there were three of us, and uh, I just gave her a tenner to go to the bar, and she was like, well, where's the rest? I was like, don't worry, that's enough. Three pints for a tenner. You just don't find it very often nowadays. You bloody well don't in London. (laughs) Um, uh, I didn't go there this
1: year, but no, I and that pub, very, very well. It's, yes, a smashing place, um, but... uh, Yes, no, that's uh, yeah, you, 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 heavens above. I don't go to pubs as much as I used to, but whenever I do, certainly, I'm obviously in London, it's it's quite a shock. When <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> luckily, it changed from 20, never mind 10 for three drinks yeah. in London now. Um, William Callahan on Twitter, I must say, I was taken aback by the emotion Ronnie O'Sullivan showed at the end. What a truly terrific achievement! And can't wait to hear your podcast reviewing the entire championship. Thanks to both. You, Nick and Phil, for your great work over the past 17 days. Thank you to you, William. I always enjoy sort of engaging with you on Twitter as well. And I, I do so many fans, and it's really nice to, to get to know people. I, I found this actually in, in life, and this is not just with snooker, actually, but I think I awful a lot with snooker. But I sort of think, oh, I know these people. I think, actually, no, we've never actually met everybody at social media. <laughs> but occasionally you do meet them. I'll tell you what, who comes in that category as well. somebody rather important. is the broadcaster, Rod Stud. And I can't remember if I said it in the last episode. I don't think I did. Delighted to meet Rod actually for the first time, and he's one of those guys that I've known for what feels like ever and a day now. But only really in a social media sense. So to meet him in person was great, and he was the human manifestation of his tweets, and I mean that in a nice way, in a good way. And it was lovely to meet him. And I've had a few. I had a few of those at Cheltenham actually this year. It's not just confined to snooker, but it's funny, you know. Social media gets a lot of stick. Some of it deserved, but actually. I've met some good old characters in life
0: through Twitter. Oh, definitely. And uh, the snooker Twitter community is quite a good one, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, I met um, Abby Davis, who was doing the, snooker, doing the interviews on the BBC. I hadn't met her before this tournament, but we spoke on Twitter a bit. And uh, so I was, was punted to her two or three times, and she's a lot of fun. I think she did a great job. You know, she probably didn't expect to be interviewing pigeons during this tournament, but she manages that very impressively. So, yeah, it was another good addition. But, yeah, yeah, it's great sort of... Uh, being, again, it's the same what we were saying before it's a shared interest and uh, whether that's bumping into people in, in person or online then, you know it brings everyone together it's nice I think Abigail became a firm favourite with viewers yeah, I thought she was a
1: terrific addition to, to the BBC team during this tournament you're absolutely right to say that well, thank you for those views we've had loads more as well um, but listen, I mean, it's not. it can't just keep rattling off praise all night well, we could but it, that would be, be a bit of a turn off I think it's fair to say but so what we're going to do for now, Phil, before we, uh, you know, say our farewells for the season, is reflect on the campaign as a whole. I mean, heavens above, what what a succession of stories we've had! Almost from the word go, we had Dave Gilbert winning the Championship League. Was it just after he came on,
0: just before, just after, wasn't it? Which we, which was great. <laughs> Yeah, it was very shortly afterwards because, yeah, I remember Tad texted him straight away and he said, oh, it's because of the podcast. So uh, but we didn't we didn't keep up any run of success, but yeah, it seemed like a nice thing at the time.
1: It did, and then we had the British Open, you know, in August. Very good summer watch, best of five, didn't go down well with everybody, but I think we all quite enjoyed it in the end. And of course, you know, it, it, it didn't throw up a...
0: A random winner, it threw up one of the greats in Mark Williams. But that was a, a fun old tournament, wasn't it? I think fun is right, isn't it? I think everyone was sort of up in arms about what it was going to be. But it was put together very quickly, wasn't it? And, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of chaos, wasn't it? It was it was towards the shootout level of chaos, but not quite. But, um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, Higgins made that maximum, didn't he? In his first frame of the, the tournament. Um, some very interesting matches. It was just interesting to see how those best of five played out, because... It was sort of weirdly defensive, weren't they? People just scared, scared not to lose. Um, obviously, that drama with Ryan Evans and Mark Allen playing—it seems an awful long time ago now—but yeah, it was. Good. It was sort of a story-packed tournament. Um, but yeah, enjoyed it, and it's uh, coming back in a in a slightly different format this coming season, isn't it? But yeah, I think I would say that was a success, though back then. Oh no doubt about it, and I'll, I'll
1: tell you what else was. Was a success in terms of a, just a great story. Mark Allen winning in Northern Ireland. I mean, that yeah. was just magic, actually, wasn't it? Coming from behind right at the end to beat John Higgins. I mean, that was a febrile night and a half, wasn't it? I mean, and just a tournament he hadn't done that well in before. But to go all the way and win it, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, fairy tales is a funny word to use about someone that's actually a brilliant, brilliant top player. But because of where it was yeah. and, and that emotion of that night, it was a kind of
0: fairy tale. Definitely, yeah. It was, it was amazing. And he looked like he was out a couple of rounds earlier against Judd Trump, wasn't he? He was um, behind. Um, I think he'd been to a decider against Maguire before that as well. So he sort of scraped it through, getting these great wins. And then he looked like he was out of it in the final as well. Great comeback. Um, yeah, that really felt like uh, we were starting to really appreciate the return of fans. Was well, They were back. I know they'd been back. We had the World Final was full of fans. So, yeah, you know, it wasn't the first thing. But... Um, yeah, it felt, it felt big, didn't it? It was it was a great atmosphere, great match. And yeah, the start of things to come for John Higgins this season, I suppose, in terms of horrible final defeats.
1: It really was. I mean, he, he lost to the, champion, the Champions final to, to Judd Trump, didn't he? That wasn't a, a particularly close match. But I'll tell you what was. The final I was at, which was Neil Robertson against John Higgins in the English Open final. We both went to that tournament at different times, didn't we? Yeah. At Milton Keynes. And that was 8-6 down. And, uh, and losing it for Higgins and we it kind of happened in slow motion we were all in the in the, in the sort of press room thinking oh no it's 8-6 that situation again and of course John was very down on himself thinking he couldn't get over the line that night and he couldn't do it anymore
0: but um, it was classic Neil as well that wasn't it to finish off and would it like that yeah, yeah yeah it was very impressive um, he hadn't we hadn't really seen him much before in the season so far had we barely been about and then uh, I remember speaking to him after maybe his first or second round and he was just he was very typical Robertson. He was just super relaxed and confident. He was just saying, my game's in absolutely immense shape. <laughs> you know? I, it, I can't remember if it was that exact quote, but it was something very much along those lines. And, uh, you know, you never know what to fully believe players when they're saying that or not. But, you know, he wasn't lying. Went and win the tournament, so fair enough. Indeed. UK Championship was terrific. I
1: mean, really. Sean Murphy, amateur players, controversy early on, of course, but what a winner in Yu Yulong. I mean, you know, Xiao Xing Tong. Sorry, get mixed <laughs> up. And uh, I can hear Rob Walker saying, a star is born. And that, yeah. that's the words that come to my mind. And yeah, Xiao Tong, I mean, he was just marvelous, wasn't he, really? W- w- you know, winning that tournament and winning it so impressively, you know, not just winning it, but in such style. He just, has that wonderful panache around the table and uh, yeah, he was just a, a joy in that tournament, a great winner.
0: Yeah. And um, yeah, I spoke to him at media day before the world championship and uh, I sort of said, what's, what's changed between, you know, being, he's always been a very exciting talent and now he's, he's a double ranking event winner. And he said it was beating John Higgins in the last 32, that, that deciding frame win over the great man. And uh you know, there's more to it than just that. But he, he did pinpoint that as the turning point in his career so far. Um, So, yeah, huge win. And then, you know, but he didn't come far off losing to Peter Lines in the next round. So it nearly wasn't a turning point, but he got through. Um, And then there was, I mean, Kyron Wilson was forgotten about in that tournament. But he had that amazing win over Ronnie in the quarters. And then he played and he got beaten by Luca, But Luca played absolutely incredibly in the semis yeah. to beat him. Um, so obviously, I mean, rightfully, Zhao is remembered as the winner, and Luca is an impressive runner-up. But um, Kyron Kyron deserves a shout for that tournament as well. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a brilliant tournament, full of stories, full of uh, surprises. I remember Vafai F- knocking out Selby comfortably in the second round. All sorts was going on. So yeah. yeah, it was great. It was, and
1: you know, York's always been a special place for me. And my mate, but I loved seeing a buzzing press room because I hadn't had that experience till then at the last World Championship. The 21 one wasn't like that at all. No, nah. And I mean, MK is a, a much, much smaller event than the English Open. So it was a, a nice press room with various friends and colleagues of ours, but not the same. But then this was a real buzzing press room. And I loved that. Uh, Luca Bissell, of course, uh, you know, carried on his good form to win to win the Scottish Open. So that, that was great for him. And then we saw Ronnie O'Sullivan, maybe the marker laid down for what was to come. With a, with a brilliant victory over, over Neil Robertson, just producing just that kind of genius kind fellow of frames to win before Christmas and that was special.
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. I think it goes back to what we were saying before about sort of where Ronnie's rated in if going into tournaments. yeah, I think going into that final, Robertson was like a clear favorite. everyone was expecting him to win if not comfortably, but, you know, everyone was tipping him and it looked like he was going to for a bit, but then, uh, yeah, it was an amazing effort from O'Sullivan and, uh, yeah, he's never far away from proving that he's <laughs> he can beat anyone at any time. Um, Robertson is, was and sort of still is the man of the season in many ways, but, uh, yeah, incredible win for, for Ronnie in a, in a really big event. They're great, those ITV events. That was the first one of the three, isn't it, the season? Um, yeah, superb. Who did you vote for for player of the season? I really I really struggled, and I went for Robertson in the end. Um, but I could, I nearly put O'Sullivan, but I think Robertson had the better overall season. What about you? I went for Ronnie, actually.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I must admit, there was definitely two thoughts. I thought, actually, if you're talking about consistency over the campaign... You're hard pushed not to say Robertson. Of course, he also got the one four seven at the Crucible, but mm. I just think you, people will argue that you make too much of the World Championship, and I understand that. But I think if you cement your status as the greatest and go to world number one, winning the world title and winning another big title, you know, listen, it's close. Yeah, I mean, I I very
0: nearly did write O'Sullivan. I'll tell you what made me not. I was about, I had actually written O'Sullivan. And then it was when Trump was coming back in the world final. I thought if Judd wins this, obviously I can't put Ronnie. I'd have to put Judd. And putting Judd felt really wrong. Like I didn't want to, I didn't think he deserved it, even if he'd won the world title. So then I thought, well, he's won two tournaments in the world title if he wins it. So if I didn't want to do him, I can't put O'Sullivan. So that 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 was my train of thought, which led me back to Robertson. But yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not arguing against those, either one is a good answer. Absolutely right. Yeah, you're getting another nice way of saying
1: it there. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> now we moved on to 2022 and the Masters, and well, bloody hell! I mean, that just I mean, I, I've 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 read a couple of I've used that I've shamelessly used that line about having my head turned by some disco music and a few bolivons twice on here and Radio shuffle that's very wrong. I know I like repeating lines, but that's wrong. Won't say it again. I tell you why as well, because that's a a sneering way of looking at it. And I said that in the context of this idea of swapping between the worlds and the masters' venues. I don't agree with that. But let's actually go back to being positive. It was a bloody brilliant week that it was yeah. so much the atmosphere was tremendous every uh, day, and sometimes with the Hitkins Williams and the semis and the final it was just superb and you just realize now that they they've nailed that venue and that is now a golden ticket and I said mm. another another interview you know on radio don't crucible's a golden ticket yeah but not just the crucible now you know York for the UK is very special people can't wait to go there the Masters is a golden ticket you know Mm. I we're, we're, we're liable to promote the game on this on this pod on this podcast, field, But it really felt like that. It was an outrageous semi. I, I don't know how Mark Williams lost that. One of the most frustrating moments of the season for me. I had it on a stream on a phone. What outside Villa Park? It was before oh, yeah. the Manchester United game, and it went down. So I kind of had it a, as live experience, but it had kind of been spoiled as well by a couple of messages. So I never quite had the experience I wanted to have that day. But I don't know how. Mark really lost that semi, but obviously in the end Neil Neil, Neil was the winner of the tournament, and uh, you know another triple crown for him.
0: Yeah, it was it was superb. It was an amazing. Yeah, that Williams Higgins match might have been my favourite game of the of the season. Maybe I haven't picked one, but it's right up there. It was so good. Um, and then then his next game when he lost to Neil, and the, the second semi sort of got overshadowed because that it wasn't as dramatic. But Hawkins beating Trump six five was was pretty mad as well. Um, you know, that was a big upset. Tr- Trump would have been heavy favourite there. Um, the final was pretty one-sided, but as the tournament as a whole was, yeah, incredible, brilliant. Um, and we should say, really, that's when we find out about Mark Selby's troubles, wasn't it? That's when he tweeted that, and that was obviously terribly sad news, and uh, we wish him all the best still. We're was just going to keep repeating ourselves saying that, but obviously we still do. And I thought, actually, what... So how he played and how he seemed at the World Championship was quite encouraging on that front, I thought. Yeah,
1: I'm just gonna say i saying very encouraging actually. You know, the way he can, you know, he conducted himself, he seemed in pretty good spirits, uh very lucid and talking, I think, very eloquently about the issues he's still having, ongoing issues, but he's getting the right help and and I, and I thought he was a credit to himself as well, you know, battling through the first round, giving Yan that almighty game in mm. the second round, and just you know. His classic Selby, he'll be back winning, won't he? He's too good. You know, important to deal with the issues off the table. That that must take as long as it takes. And that's the important thing. A million miles more important than the sport. But if I know Selby, as Dave Hendon put it in the interview that he did, you know, the interview I spoke to Dave for the article I did for the World Programme, he's faced a number of battles in his life. And he's, he's won most of them. Won pretty much all of them. One pretty much all of them. And I've see one in this one as well.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, potentially he could, you know, he's he spoke through this about us having to, he's p- suppressed it, what he's often described it as like, putting on a mask and having to deal with things his whole life and uh, achieve so much despite that. If he can go in some way to fixing the problem or like overcoming it properly, you know, he could come back even better than he ever has been. So, yeah, uh, he, he'll, uh, you know, I'll be very intrigued to watch him next season. And I hope he's... Hope he's back to his best because he's a force, and uh, I'm sure he will be at some point.
1: Indeed, and then we had a bit of history, didn't we, in the shootout? Hossein Vafai. I mean, that was um, <laughs> a lovely, lovely story for the game, wasn't it? An, an Iranian winner, of a ranking event. We always enjoy the shootout, don't we? It's, it's just, it's just great fun, and I think you always make the point quite wisely. I think we enjoy it any but it always comes at a good time of the season. It's, it's sort of. Thick and fast, really big, important tournaments. And that has got its own importance, but we just—it's a little bit of light relief mixed with a bit of importance, and it's bam, bam, bang, bang. You never get bored, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a four days we relish, I think.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun as always. Um, yeah, and a crazy story. I mean, you know, it's not crazy that how Sam five won a ranking event. He, he's more than capable of winning a, a longer format ranking event than that. But the story about how he, he nearly pulled out the night before because it was—it was. It was let me get this right. It was his grandmother died, I think, a yeah. grandparent, and um, and he very nearly just didn't play at all. And then then went on and won the thing, uh, beating Mark Williams in the final in, in incredible fashion. I think Mark played, was it one shot? He certainly wasn't more than two or three. Um, yeah, amazing stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I think he'll he's on a very good upward curve, isn't he? Vafai fire. I think he'll have a, another good season ahead of him. Uh, made his Crucible debut. Um, he's he's learned how to do explosive interviews, so hopefully some more of them as well. Yeah, indeed. And then we moved on to
1: where are we now? We're well, we're at Zhao Xing Tong. I'm furious myself, A night of self-flagellation for me from getting that long earlier, but uh, maybe forgiveness in the end. Who knows? Yes. Um, and uh, well, that was an extraordinary final, wasn't it? The old. Uh, the German masters nine nil against Yan. I mean, you know, heavens above! I know you're probably more into odds than me, but what were the odds on on that? It was a bizarre. I mean, obviously, just completely got away from from Yan, but for the the quality of the player that Yan is, and actually, I think we said, didn't we, in the last podcast with Chris Downer? Um, you know that I heard somebody asked who, who, you know, out of Zhao Tong and Yan Bingtao, who they think you know is the better player? And Henry said that he thought Yan would win the world championship first. I'm inclined to agree with that. Then he just had a, such an odd day.
0: Yeah, very strange. Um, yeah, I spoke to you now that piece I did with Victoria, the the academy that they both play in, and uh, uh, she was quite candid about it, and it's probably quite worrying for you, hadn't he? he? Just he said she said that he just struggles playing against um, friends, other Chinese players, but specifically like people he knows well. So you know, it's not it's not good for him if he's going to come up against any of those guys that in the academy uh, in future because. Uh, I'm sure he won't lose 9-0 every time, but um, yeah, she admitted that he struggles with it. But yeah, Xin Tong was superb in that, not just the final, obviously the final was amazing, but he beat Williams in the first round in Berlin and Trump in the quarters. So, uh, And then a very informed Ricky Walden in the semi semi-finals as well. So a uh, brilliant tournament from him and very impressive to follow up that great UK result and prove that it wasn't a flash in the pan and back it up pretty quickly afterwards in Berlin.
1: Yeah, indeed. And uh, I think we, we're seeing more and more that he re- really is the real deal. And he even showed that in patches in Sheffield. And he really is, you know, seeming now to be such a, a big force to come in, in the years to come. Well, uh, Fan ji gave us another <laughs> very unlikely story by winning the, the European Masters. I mean, probably up there with a Jordan Brown kind of shock, really. And yeah. beating Ronnie O'Sullivan ten nine in that final. I mean, it was at Milton Keynes, unfortunately. We wanted it to be in Germany, but... Again, we're all scratching our heads saying, what's snooker going to give us
0: next, Phil Haig? Yeah, I mean, unbelievable, really. Yeah, it is similar level to Jordan Brown in Wales. I think it was the same thing, wasn't it? They they both just made their first ever ranking quarterfinal in Germany just beforehand. But, you know, that's a sign of progress. But I don't think many people are ex- thinking that was the sign of you're about to win a, a big ranker um, and to beat Ronnie O'Sullivan. They both beat Ronnie O'Sullivan in the final of them, which... Uh, He's even more incredible, but yeah, he played he played brilliant stuff throughout that week in uh, in Milton Keynes. A fan, um, he he beat Yan, didn't he? As well, he beat Kyron Wilson, uh, beat Gilbert. I can't remember else he beat. Graham Dott in the semis. That was it. Um, yeah, amazing stuff. And he's he's not really followed it on too much yet, but um, he'll be very interesting to to see how he's getting on next season. He's only 21, so really has got a lot of, a lot of time on his sides. I'm not sure he's won many matches at all since he won that European Masters, but a refocus over the summer, and uh, yeah, he can clearly do it. He's beaten Ronnie O'Sullivan in a deciding frame of a ranking tournament final. Yeah. Even if he retired right now, you'd take that for a career, probably.
1: Yeah, certainly. And then we saw another brilliant story, and this time it was Joe Perry, uh, winning the, uh, the Welsh Open. It was a delight to have Joe on shortly after that, talking about it. I mean, he's a popular player in the game. He thought his chance of winning a ranking event had gone, but he just played brilliantly throughout, beat some real top players and beat Judd Trump and, and beat him well in the final. It was just marvellous. And that shot of him and his parents, I mean, we've seen some celebrations over the years in snooker field, some great trophy shots, but that, that was um, something I think all of us just thought, that was magic.
0: Yeah, it was a really moving moment, wasn't it? Um, he did very well to keep his composure there, Joe. I think might have been long gone <laughs> by that point. Um, but yeah, no, it was a great story. Everyone, everyone loved that, and it was so that was so out of nowhere as well. He's had an appalling season really <laughs> until then, um, and he said to us on here, didn't he? He played really well in a qualifier against Lee Walker for something, and that just suddenly reminded him that he can play this game a bit. And then you know, it was soon afterwards he was lifting. Yeah, the trophy of a great tournament, we've said a long of times, the Welsh Open is mm. a cut above the other home nations, isn't it? It's a, it's a big, it's a, it's a traditional big event and yeah, amazing stuff. Everyone, you know, it was a very, very popular win that. Uh, and um, yeah, if anyone hasn't listened to that interview we did with him on here, uh, I, that would be, if I was recommending that any of our back catalogue, that would be up in the top handful, definitely, of ones to go and dig out. I think my favourite ever episode is Virgo, but I think Perry will be right near the top, actually. Mm.
1: I think he was fascinating about almost everything. Yeah. I mean, the number of topics he, you know, covered, and we all covered together during that episode. And he was just, and a lot of people made this point that whatever he was talking about was was brilliant and compelling. And he's taken that into his obviously does that in his TV work and you know, he's very very good at doing that. Well, one thing I definitely gleaned, which I didn't really need to glean uh, from, from from being in Sheffield, Phil, was how much everyone enjoyed turkey. I mean, you know, yeah. jealousy is an ugly emotion. But I think all of us that weren't there, we can all say yes. We know that Antalya looked pretty special, and uh, you know, we knew it from the pictures and videos. But it was it was re- it was really good. And judge Judd Trump embraced it as you I think called on here that it, you had, you had that feeling that if anyone's going to do it over there, it'd be Judd and. Uh, he was a good winner and
0: a popular winner. Yeah, I mean, that was the least scientific bit of analysis ever, but it did feel like a tournament that he might win, and he did. So whatever it, whatever that feeling came from it made a bit of sense. Um, but yeah, it was an enjoyable tournament, something a bit different. Um, different carpet, you know, we spoke a lot about that. <laughs> but just a different feeling to it from everything we've seen over the last... You know, two or three years now, it's been all quite samey, uh, predictable uh, to an extent. But um, yeah, no, that was great. Some great stories there as well. I um, remember Oliver Lyons having a good run. That was uh, uh, interesting. Matt cell a surprise finalist, but um, Trump making that maximum in the finals. That was all good. Um, yeah, in- entertaining tournament. Shout out to um, FA, who was in the press room for the entirety oh, yeah. of the World Championship. He's from Red Black Snooker blog. I think you'll find him on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but he's uh, he's from Turkey. Um, and, yeah, he was there for every single day of it and uh, put in a big old shift. And, uh, yeah, really nice guy. So, yeah, have a look at his stuff online. I think Lylee was there for the whole thing. What a lovely guy he was. Yeah, we really yeah. enjoyed seeing him, didn't we? Real, a real nice
1: character, that one. And, um, well, we hope that tournament goes from strength to strength, of course. Uh, Rob Milkins, obviously, had... Uh, A a day and night to forget there for all the wrong reasons. Um, obviously, you know, getting very drunk and uh, making a scene at the opening ceremony, that sort of But then in this season of seasons, Phil, as if we thought, no, Snooker's given us enough now. The Snooker gods have shown have shown their hands now. That's (laughs) it. Then Rob Wilkins winning his first ever ranking event, the Gibraltar Open, beating Kyrie Morrison in that final. And Gerald is a funny one it's not the biggest event of the season but I think for a number of reasons may, mainly to do with sort of bonuses and money it, you get tend to get quite a few decent
0: players sort of playing it certainly this mm. time round and gave us another lovely story with Milkins yeah I mean it's, obviously we know Rob's a good player has been Frazier's but so it wasn't quite as a big a surprise as Fan and Jordan Brown last season but it was still a massive surprise no one saw that coming really um Yeah, I was thinking if Netflix had 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 a foresight to uh, film a snooker documentary, I think I'd have scrapped the Ronnie one and followed Rob Milkins for the Turkish Masters and Gibraltar Open. And the week in between, it could have been very entertaining. I would have liked to watch that. Um, But yeah, no, amazing story. Um, I loved chatting to Rob after that, did a good interview with him. Um, So yeah, that was another very popular winner. Uh, He's been around forever, is not he? And... uh, uh, never, never been to a final before so to do that be a very good player in Kyron Wilson in the final um, yeah amazing stuff you very much so you know no
1: guarantees there are never guarantees with, with situations like this but we hope to get Rob on here one day don't we and, and um, you know that, that's the intention it may, it may be soon it may not be soon but we, we do hope to get Rob and I think he'll be a, a great listener and great credit to you that, that piece you did was, was very moving and I think You know, we we can see some of the struggles, you know, people have, you know, in in life. And, you know, sometimes, you know, with all sports, actually, even the sort of big ones, semi-big ones, certainly with this one, you don't always know the backstories. That's why you've been so great in bringing some of them out. And obviously, Bob's had a lot of, you know, uh, blows in life and difficulties. And uh, it was was wonderful, you know, for for his age to do that. And we, we wish him well, and we'll hopefully have him on this podcast one day. And then we came to an event that, everyone loves a lot of talk about it being the fourth major now and uh well you can see why it's holding that esteem the tour championship in clandidno not there next year going to a new venue but it was at clandidno again and it ended up with a number of, of really good matches but victory for neil robertson another painful one for john higgins most painful of the lot was a long way ahead wasn't he but only did he one frame but um he never got it robertson got over the line with, with that 10-9 win and uh you know, again, Neil, another big tournament. We thought, can you do it in Sheffield? Of course, he didn't. But um, yeah, I mean, can you believe that Higgins got to all those finals the season after? Ronnie got
0: to all those finals and lost them. So odd, very odd. Yeah, and that was the one where he thought, I can't possibly not get over the line from here. Um, that was an interesting point. After, it. I think, I think it was after that that Stephen Hendry had sort of called it. It was become sort of car crash watching. Higgins in having leads in finals and we know what he meant but in after one of his games in the World Championship probably after his quarter final win Higgins brought that point up brought that phrase up and it clearly had heard it and stuck with him and he didn't like it very much so it's interesting when you know people and uh, the pundits say things and it does get back to their players and they, they often don't like it but um, yeah, there were some amazing games in that, O'Sullivan 10-9 against Williams in the quarters was an absolutely superb game then Robertson did the same. So I was in the semis. Um, so when Luca beat Jud in, in the first round, and, and Jud just looked like he wanted to be anywhere else, and so afterwards was talking about having a big break from the game and stuff. So yeah, it was an eventful few days um, and an, an absolutely mental final. Really, like we'd oh. see him lose some leads, but, oh. but another tough one to take. But yeah, amazing stuff from Robertson, though, as it has been for a lot of the season. And he's so great
1: at finishing finals well,
0: Neil. And You know,
1: a lot of times we look at, naturally, at players that lose big leads, but Neil's great at tracking people down because he's kind of nerveless in those kind of, you know, Mm. high-pressure situations. Then we came to World Qualifying, as we know, an event that's so right, the drama's a judgment day, and then 17 days of the Crucible. And, well, we're we're at the end of of it all, Phil, and we've got some extras to come, and the seniors, of course, this week, and uh, various awards to come, and we'll, we'll talk about those when we return with our first episode back after the break, but in terms of the sort of um, the main business of the Pro Tour, that's over for the season. And, um, you know, it, it's been a, a hell of a ride, hasn't it? And, uh, you know, very, very enjoyable at times and uh, lots of ups and downs and,
0: you know, drama all the way. Yeah, it has been. It's been probably the most unpredictable one I can remember I've not gone back and looked at the results for a lot of seasons, but I can't imagine anyone would have tipped so many different winners of ranking titles. And if you were tipping them, you'd had names like Robert Milkins and Fang Yi in there. Um, yeah, it's been it's been crazy, really, um, but brilliant. It's in a way, it's gone quite quickly. I think um, it's sort of flown by, but uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been brilliant, uh, a nice and <laughs> a nice ending to it. Like I said before, that we had a sort of all a very lovely heartwarming feel to the end of the World Championship. So it was a nice way to put a bow on it in that way. Um, and yeah, time, probably time for, yeah, the easing out of the seniors and then a, a little bit of time off and we'll be raring to go again. Indeed. We should have a word of course
1: to the Women's World Championship as well, which is won by Nutrarat Wonga Mink beating Wendy Yan's five. We all enjoyed watching that, didn't we? And that was it. a real drama there in February, of, you know, earlier this year. We were actually uh, that last frame, that was a proper drama and a word about Matt Hewitt, actually, who I I uh, saw as we all did many times up there. And uh, World Women's Snooker Day was a, a great success. It was great to see Rebecca Kenner there, Mink there, various other people, and, um, you know, it was covered quite well by the BBC that afternoon, and we,
0: we we hope and trust and think women's game is going to go from strength to strength. Yeah, we've got Mink and Rebecca joining rianne and Onye on the tour next season as four ladies on there. So uh, yeah, that'd be good. Um, looking forward to see how they get on. Obviously, um, Mink's the women's world champion, so she'll be heading there confident. Um, I think she might maybe have the biggest ceiling of all of them. She's a bit younger, isn't she? Um, so we'll see how she gets on, but yeah, it'd be very interesting. And yeah, Matt works so hard. A shout out to him and in, in all his endeavours. Yeah. He's a real source of servant to Stuka, and uh, everyone should be grateful for his for his efforts. A great servant, and indeed, again, yeah, as you say, a great
1: fr- a great friend of the game. Well, any other business, or is that it? I think we must say thanks to Chris Downer again, and you can pick up the crucial and all that people have been asking, you know, it's available through snooker scene magazine. And, you know, people did comment to me. They were surprised by how few copies there are printed, Mm. you know, but it is available. You, You can get it. It is brilliant. Chris was a marvelous guest. And we, you know, we, we, we heartily recommend if stats are your thing and you, you know, you love the world championships. I know many of you out there will do. It's a, it's a great buy. So you, you know, you, you can find the Crucible Omelette through Snooker Scene Magazine. And thanks again to Chris and the passion for snooker fans in that tournament field. Just a shout out as well for, uh, for Mark Watterson, actually, the, the nephew of Monarch that I met one night in The Graduate, who showed me some wonderful photographs, videos of the past. And that was great. And I, I really enjoyed that. And of course, Mike Watterson was absolutely huge in, in the history of that tournament. No doubt about it. It was... A, His wife, wasn't it, that went to a play there and uh, thought this might work for Snooker? And uh, I think she might have been right 45 years
0: later. It just (laughs) seemed that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think the love has come back. The love has come back for the Crucible. I mean, for many, many people, it never left, but there's been plenty of talk about other things. But yeah, I think everyone's finished this tournament fully back in love with it. So yeah, Um, no, and again, thanks to Chris. It was great. I had a few drinks with him. Uh, when was out on Friday night. Um, yeah, great guy and uh, a pleasure to have on. And shout out for Alan McManus sneaking into being our, the first double voice on here that wasn't us. We've spoken about that a few times, who's going to be the first person to appear on here twice. And uh, Alan snuck in there and got it for himself, which is great. Um, yeah, so Alan a few times up been Sheffield as well. Always, always a pleasure to speak to him. And yeah, I mean, weirdly, it's not actually, I was just looking at sort of what's coming up. And we've got the seniors starting on Wednesday, Wednesday till uh, the weekend. Great names in there. Obviously, the guys that are always there, Hendry and White and Doherty, Tony Knowles, and then, yeah, the um, defending champion, David Lilly. Um, and then, there's, yeah, the surprise entrant of Michael Holt, who I suppose if we'd thought about it, we would have known he could have qualified. But I don't think it crossed anyone's mind, really, to put him in there. But he's going in and we will probably fancy his chances. Um, and then next week, I think, there's the Tour playoff. I'm not sure if that'll be on Facebook or anything. It probably won't be streamed, but there's a, t- there's a tour card on the line for that playoff in Darlington. And it's um, the 16 players from the top of the Tour rankings. So that, that will be uh, a very interesting tournament, actually, just to follow on the live scores. But there'll be some good stuff played there and, uh, and, a, and a big prize of a place on tour next season. So I uh, want to look out for players like Robbie McGuigan, Michael Giorgio's in there. Liam Davis, who became the youngest ever winner of a World Championship game. Ben Mertens, the Belgian lad, he's very good. So, um, Alfie Lee, Stephen Lee's son, as well, playing in that. Um, So, yeah, that's one to keep out to. 10th and 11th of May, so next week in Darlington. So, yeah, something to keep an eye on. Definitely. And uh, of course, we've got Q School to come as well.
1: And I think we're going to play it by ear in terms of, you know, guests that that will. Hopefully, reflect the drama and stories of, of Q School, as we did with Peter Lines last summer. So we we certainly got that in mind. We are going to return um, in a few weeks' time with our own roundup of everything that's happened. Maybe even dot the, the eyes and cross the t's towards the kind of uh, the furniture of the season ending, if you like, with the with the seniors and some of the awards, and no doubt some more details about next season's events. You tend to get in the the days and weeks to come and then we'll return with our summer season of programmers uh phil which i'm hoping to kick off aren't we with the comparing broadcast of Bob walker and uh, he might have a story or two you never know <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah looking forward to that one it'll be guaranteed entertainment yeah that would be fun um and yeah we were chatting about our summer schedule and uh won't reveal it all now but um i think we're quite looking forward to it aren't we when it's not just as reviews and previews to do we'll dig into some interesting chats with people so hopefully we'll have a lot of them for you
1: shout out to ollie bell who we we were delighted to meet weren't we uh, this weekend and, and spend a bit of time with he was um as we know presented the tour championship uh for itv Face on ITV Racing, Ollie will also join us on the talk is nuka podcast soon. And we know we're going to talk about the sort of media, maybe more from the broadcast. We did it with Hector Nuns, of course, more from the written side. This will be more sort of broadcasting, but also media in general, and maybe some ideas about the future of the game. Ollie, you know, great, charismatic, and um, you know, we, we know he'll be a, a terrific guest on there. But we, we are going to line up some really interesting people, we hope, don't we, Phil? Couple of old timers, hopefully, a couple of the young guys, but we'll try and keep it as nuanced as possible. Must get a referee on again. Monica mm-hmm. Silkhouse council, still our only one. Nothing gets referees. We love them. We just haven't quite lined up one yet. But we will do that as well. But as I say, the list of potential guests for this podcast is yes.
0: like the Encyclopedia Britannica, isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, you've been doing sterling work of lining the muscle up as well. We just need to get them all. In the diary, don't we? But yeah, no, there's plenty to look forward to. I think it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it a lot.
1: Well, sincere thanks from me to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed your company throughout this season. And um, I know we got that nice photo, which you can see on social media. Nice way to mark the season. And um Hector was a bit cheeky, wasn't he, saying that ZZ
0: Top of letting themselves go a bit? Well, no, that's probably. my fault. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, get, I get that regularly, but I can't complain. It's, it's bound to happen, isn't it? It's the big daft beard, but yeah. No, and, and to you, it's been a pleasure. I really do enjoy it. I do enjoy this. Um, as you said, we, we love it when people say that, uh, that they enjoy it as well. But um, I, I, if, if no one was listening, I'd still enjoy doing this. I don't know for how long we'd carry on doing that if no one was listening, but I'd still have a nice time. I think we would have to stop
1: doing it if no one was listening, wouldn't we? I mean, you, you, you know a few months would give it, and then, you know... But we're, we're doing all right, you know. I mean, I know I'm, I'm probably too much into numbers, but we're, you know, we're in the sort of 120s, 130s, and the Apple charts for Britain, you know, and I've seen that, you know, we're around about some of the athletic podcasts and the BBC ones, and, you know, you know, you know, they've probably got quite a few advantages where it's it's usually just me and you chatting away on the computer knackered after a shift, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think, yeah, I, I, I think that... Uh relative success at whatever level is, uh, has blown my mind, really. So, yeah, we've got, to, we've got to really thank everyone for tuning in. Glad you like it. Uh, anything you guys want to hear as well? I mean, we've come, been coming up with ideas for people to talk to, but if there's anyone in particular that everyone listening wants to wants to hit, listen to us have a chat with, then let us know, because, you know, we said it a load of times, everyone's pretty gettable in snooker. It's pretty good in that way. So uh, we can do our best to sort it out.
1: Indeed. And for those of us that have been... Corresponding with us and writing to us in in certainly recent days and during this tournament. And we haven't read it out. We do have them. We will come to it. Most of them, you know, even though they relate to this tournament, there's an element of, 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 of timelessness about them. Some very interesting points about players involved and what they might do in the future and a bit about rankings and other things. We are going to keep them. And actually, let's be clear. You know, we love correspondence anytime. It's vital in a summer isn't it? We we <laughs> And we're gonna have two or three of your views, I'm sure, episodes and specifically do that. And we're gonna talk about young young people and, and and whether they're interested in the game and
0: whether we can get youth involved. But don't worry, we are actually gonna invite some young people on. Yeah, some genuine young people. Amazing. Yeah. We'll have to I'm gonna to have to start watching TikTok videos and stuff to get prepared. But yeah, no, that'd be good. We must
1: go. What a season. Thank you very much indeed for your company throughout it. Keep your thoughts coming to us. talking snooker at Yahoo.com or tweet us at TalkingSnooker. We will, we'll be back after the break as they've been saying on ITV for generations, Phil. And, uh, thank you so much to you, sir. And, uh, enjoy your break and we'll be back
0: talking snooker very soon. We will. No, always a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, I'll be raring to go, I'll be, you know, a week later I'm going to be missing this. So, yeah, well, I will enjoy the break, but i am be looking forward to returning. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You've been a delight to share this season with. And congratulations
1: to Ronnie O'Sullivan, rubber stamping his position as snooker's greatest. Now a seven-time champion of the world. Thank you so much for your company throughout this season. You know, it's been a delight to engage with you. Thank you so much for listening to us and all the kind things you said about us. And we back, raring to go in a few weeks' time. But for now, from Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf, cheerio.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.